Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Character and Smallman podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's Character and Smallman. Yeah, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Character and Smallman. And uh, I'm Randy Character with a very, very sad Michelle Smallman. Because her fighting a line eye. As she mentioned when she came in the door, we're just Illinois. We we don't have a chance. We we always find a way to lose. We always lose our best players. We can't even get players to come, and then when they do, they, they leave us. It's sad that Illinois lost to Loyola yesterday in the NCAA tournament. And Michelle, I share your grief. Do you, Randy? Do you? Uh, I do. Yes, it's a somber Monday. It's an angry Monday. It's We're going through the emotions on this Monday, Randy. I woke up this morning and I had to pinch myself because I thought, was that a terrible nightmare I had? Was that an awful dream that I was having that number one seed Illinois got upset by Loyola Chicago yesterday? Oh, no, it was in fact reality. It was in fact reality, Randy. And... It's just one of those things that deep in my heart, buried within the deepest chambers of my heart, I knew would happen. I knew this would happen. This is why I told you at the beginning of the season that I don't 100% emotionally commit because I know my heart's going to get broken. I know bad things are going to happen to me and to Illinois basketball. When they went and won the Big Ten tournament... I got really hyped. I said to you, I'm irrationally confident about this team. Give me this team over any team in the country. I I was ready to take any team against Illinois. And then I looked at the bracket and I thought, you know what? That's a tough draw for Illinois. That's a tough path to the national championship game. But this is a good team. They can do it. It's a good team. They can do it. Was Loyola Underseated, You bet they were. But guess what? Illinois is going to have to be better teams than that if they want to be a national champion. So I don't want to make excuses. But then after the first the first round, Randy, I started seeing all this stuff about Sister Jean. And I said, you know what? She's getting older. She's pretty. She's up there. All right. 101. And 101. That's many years of her life. That she, many hours logged chatting with the Lord. She's got the Lord's ear. And then when I saw, that was concerning. It's concerning. Okay, it's almost an NCAA violation, really, calling in favors from God. But then when I saw the prayer that she gave to the Ramblers before the game against my Illini, I thought, oh, they're in trouble. They're in big time trouble. Can I read you, you an sure excerpt can. an yeah. excerpt of the prayer from Sister Jean? As we play the Fighting Illini, we ask for special help to overcome this team and get a great win. We hope to score early. Check. Hope to make our opponents nervous. Check. We have a great opportunity to convert rebounds. Check. As this team makes about 50% of layups and 30% of its three points. Our defense can take care of that. 
check. You know what this was, Randy? This was a personal attack from God. This was God saying, you know what, Illini fans? You haven't logged as many hours with me as Sister Jean and Loyola has. How dare you think something good was going to come your way? Joke's on you. And you know what perhaps the worst part about this is, Randy? Maybe the worst part about this is that I can't hate this Loyola team. I can't hate them the way that I hate UNC. All 16 years later, I still hate North Carolina. I still hate Sean May. I still hate him. I cannot hate this team. There's a team that if they didn't beat my team, I would be cheering for. Porter Moser, incredible coach with a slew connect. Obviously, Rick Majerus' disciple. Love him as a coach. Who doesn't love Sister Jean? She's an amazing story. Cameron Quatwig, he looks like He's going through his second divorce and is playing hoops at his local YMCA to deal with his heartbreak. I can smell icy hot when I watch that kid play, Randy. I love him. I can't even hate them. And, and this is my life as an Illini fan. So uh, here's the thing. Can't even hate so him. Yesterday was obviously a level of just disbelief. The five stages of grief are denial, which you woke up with, right? Correct. Anger right now. Yeah, you, you know I'm feeling it. And then bargaining, <laughs> and you're going to have to do a little, you know. No, bargaining's already out the window. Okay, good. Depression. Hope that doesn't last long. Well, and then I'm acceptance. Pretty, I'm pretty bummed. I think we haven't reached acceptance yet because 16 years, Randy. Think about that for a second. 16 years I have waited for another Illinois team like this. Not only to be relevant again, but to be this special, to where you can really, really feel like this was meant to be. And that is the best feeling in the world. When your team has never won and you've been through the trials and tribulations and finally they emerge on top and you think this is going to be our year. This is going to be our year. A guy like Ayo Desumu does not stay in Illinois. You do not have a talent like that who wants to make an impact on his state school and not only commits to Illinois, but then after a pandemic season when he could go to the league, says, I'm coming back, and Kofi's coming back. You have a guy like Trent Frazier who's given his blood, sweat, and tears to this team and to this program. You have Andre Curbelo who is so exciting, and it is the future. It just, there's so much personality and so much of that it factor with this mm-hmm. team. You felt like it was meant to be, and guess what? It was not. And I really thought, and I, I texted you late in the first half and asked if you were nervous. You said you were despondent, and I thought they would go on the run. I didn't, uh, as good as Loyola was, I thought Illinois' athleticism would overcome and take over, and they'd go on that 8 9 nothing run and then pull away. I really thought that it, it, it could be even though they were down by nine at halftime, or I guess they got it down to six, but they were down by 10 early in the second half. I thought they would come back and blow them out. I really did. I thought they would come back in the second half, make some adjustments, and as Mm -hmm. you mentioned, really exert their physicality and their skills. But what happened was Loyola had a plan from the jump, and they executed it to perfection. Illinois never even led in that game. They never even had a chance. A wire-to-wire victory, and this is the way it ended. They're going to dribble this one out. Illinois has said, that's it, Loyola, Chicago, as Norris dribbles at half court, pumping his fists, hugs and handshakes all around. And how about this one at Banker's Life Fieldhouse in Indianapolis, 2018's Cinderella just got a repeat invite to the Sweet 16. The Loyola Chicago Ramblers have upset the number one seed, Illinois, 
71, 58, dominating the Illini, leading from wire to wire. Illinois just 4 of 14 from three-point land. They were 44.9% from the field. Mm. Io DeSumo. I mean, they're just solid. They're a solid basketball team. They, you know, they followed their coach's game plan, and they, you know, they did a tremendous job at that. Um, at the end of the day, I think we still had good looks. We just, you know, couldn't couldn't throw the couldn't throw a penny in the ocean. You can say that again, Io. That's for sure. They were just smothered defensively, and the the turnovers. At some point, I I think I texted you back. They have got to stop the bleeding yeah. with the turnovers. It was just one after another. It was probably the worst I felt watching sports, Randy, and I don't know since the Red Sox Cardinals World Series where they kept pitching to Poppy. Mm -hmm. And it feels worse than that because the Cardinals had just won in recent memory. So at least, at least with that, like I said, at least with that instance, you can look at one person or look at the scenario and there's a villain. You can channel your emotions and say, I hate Big Poppy. Why are we pitching to him? You can channel that frustration into something. I can't be mad at anyone today. Loyola was the better team. They deserved the win. And there's no one on that team or in that program that I dislike. And that sucks. That really sucks. Yeah, it'd be nice to have somebody that you could just say is evil. Correct. And, and there is no evil there. The rest of yesterday's action, Wisconsin, the number nine seed falls to number one seed Baylor's 76-63. That keeps, keeps a couple of brackets together. Syracuse upends third seeded West Virginia, 75-72. Arkansas advances with a win over Texas Tech. Houston, the number two seed over Rutgers, 63-60. Tough weekend for the Big Ten. Oral <laughs> Roberts, 81-78 over Florida. The amazing Oral Roberts amazing. ride continues after beating Ohio State in their opener. Yes. There's something. A North Texas falls to fifth seed Villanova 84-61 and Oregon State advances the 12 seed with a an 80 to 70 victory over Oklahoma State and more action tonight that you'll hear here on 101 ESPN. You know Randy, I went to 12 years of Catholic school. You know how many hours I've logged in a church and that's nothing compared to Sister Jean. This was God laughing in my face. It really was. It was like oh, I just <laughs> I can't I wonder at what point I'm going to reach acceptance. Tomorrow, Friday, Next week, the national championship game, when I realize it's really over. Yeah, I hope it's not one of those situations where <sighs> 20 years down the road, you're saying, damn. It's We're 16 years later, and I'm still yeah. saying, damn, about 2005. Yeah. And Randy, I dusted off the shirt. I, I dusted know. off the shirt that I had kept buried in the drawer for 16 years. <laughs> yeah. What a fool I was to believe. <laughs> this is what sports does to you, Randy. This is what sports does. And you know what? I had fool's gold because of the blues, because you and I thought the blues were cursed mm-hmm. for so long. I thought, if the blues can do it, Illinois can definitely do it. This Illini team is way better than the blues were before they, in that season right. where they won the Stanley Cup. Of course, yeah. Illinois can do it. Yeah. Joke's on me, everyone. Yeah. Joke is on me. And I am sorry if my passion for this team convinced you to pick <laughs> Illinois as your national champion in your bracket. I own yeah. it. I take personal responsibility. I let my heart get in the way of my head. Even though my head was telling me that they no, could do it, too. Head. They were good. Hey, they were really Sean good. Sean Farnham was on with us, and he said, no, 
you, you said, should I be in this investment? He said, absolutely, you should. I was texting with so many of my people from ESPN, really, really smart basketball people that were so hyped about Illinois, texting me saying, I'm picking them. I'm like, well, if you're picking them, I'm having way more confidence because there's always that jaded Illini fan in me that wants to be scared. I, I always want to be scared that they're going to break my heart. And I went all in. I was vulnerable. And here we are, Randy. I'm, a, I'm in a glass case of emotion on a Monday. And oh, by the way, Mizzou's season ended on Saturday, and St. Louis U's season ended on Saturday and lost in the NIT. So not a great weekend for our local basketball teams. I mentioned earlier, by the way, I apologize that we would have the games tonight. We've got Blues hockey tonight there in Vegas. So that's here on 101 ESPN. They swept the Sharks over the weekend. We're going to talk about that in our next segment. For the Cardinals over the weekend, a loss to the Mets on Friday, and then they defeated the Astros on Saturday. And uh, then uh, they play the Marlins today. The skipper, Mike Schilt, has seen his players get better over the course of this spring. No, you're talking about guys that have ability, and, and uh, I've alluded to the rationale behind the the, the, um, the answers and, the and the, I guess, patience. I mean, it's, it's more patience for other people. It's not necessarily patience for me because I'm confident they're going to do it. So, anyway, yeah, Dylan, uh, we saw a cut three days ago. Um, he kind of locked into it, drove a ball in the gap. He's been right on some baseballs. His timing's been good. His balance has been great. And then he really uh, he got into one today and then just drove a ball to left field. So, you know, a couple of real quality at bats for, for Dylan today. And, and he showed, um, showed that he's in a good spot. And that was Saturday. Yesterday, the Cardinals had a rare spring training Sunday off. And they'll be back in action today against the Marlins noon at Roger Dean Stadium. How do you not love Cameron Crutwig? He looks like a young John Candy. Yeah, he really does. He has the mustache, and it's not weird or creepy. It's endearing. Second divorce, huh? Second divorce. With the roll-down socks, Randy. (laughs) He's a gamer. (laughs) He's got the gym bag, and his car smells terrible. But he's he's playing through the pain of the divorce. I'm telling you, I I could smell the icy hot coming out of my television (laughs) as I watched him play, and I loved it. I was in so much pain, and I'm like, man, but I love you. I can't even be mad at you. You're so great. Unbelievable. I want to cheer for you, but I can't cheer for them moving forward because they're the cause of my pain. They're the genesis. But you can cheer for Sister Jean. You know what, Randy? I am not above trash talking a nun. I was really upset that she called in a favor. Of all times, Sister Jean, of all times. Good to see you, Lana. She had the perfect scouting report and the perfect prayer. You know, they always say, Randy, that you need to be very clear and what you want. When you're asking for something, you need to be very specific, whether it's to a manager or to the universe. Be clear and what your heart desires. And not only was Sister Jean clear, she had the checklist. She brought the checklist to the big man and said, here are the four things that I need to happen for this game to go our way today. And you know what he said? I got you. <laughs> Think and about he this. Did. And think, he did. Think about this. John Calipari, not in the tournament. Coach K, not in the tournament. Uh, you look at uh, the, the, the great programs, and Sister Jean's still in the tournament. Yeah. Brad Underwood, not in the tournament. But you know, those programs that you just mentioned, Randy, they've had success. They've cut down the net. There's banners hanging in their gyms. But I'm just talking about Sister Jean's influence. I'm just, right, but Pretty it's easier for them to swallow yeah, just, it. Oh yeah, because Absolutely. we we don't have that. We don't have that. <laughs>
That's Michelle. I'm Randy. It's 7.15. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. It was a good weekend for your St. Louis Blues. We'll touch on that next time. 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> After your St. Louis Blues lost five in a row, they were able to come up with a couple of victories against the hapless San Jose Sharks over the course of the weekend. Hey, we don't care if the other team is hapless or not. We just need wins, all right? That's right. right. That's so right. We'll take that from the Blues. They knocked off the Sharks 2-1 to one on Friday night. It had to go to a shootout, and you get your guy back, and he winds up scoring a winner for you. <laughs> now Vladimir Tarasenko brings it in. Waits, shoots, and scores. He took it wide. Spectacular patience. And he goes between the goalie and the post to give the Blues the lead in the shootout. Michelle, that was one of those plays where you wonder about his left shoulder. Mm -hmm. And he obviously has, and he says he doesn't want to talk about his shoulder anymore, which is great. He obviously has strength enough in that shoulder so that he's able to take it wide with the stick and make the play that he made. That was a spectacular shootout goal. It really was, and I understand why he wouldn't want to talk about the shoulder. In his mind, he's done the work, and now he's back out on the ice. He wants to turn the page. But when you see moments like that, it does help ease, I think, fans' minds Mm -hmm. about what could potentially be lurking around the corner with that shoulder. But it's great to see him not only be able to do something like that, but to be able to come up big for the Blues again because they're going to need more of that out of him moving forward. Jordan Bennington was great. He got the big save in the shootout on Kevin LeBanc, and the Blues win that one 2-1. to one. Then they come back on Saturday, and lo and behold, Ville Husso starts between the pipes, and lo and behold, the Blues, Michelle, allow another early goal. That's a, that's a Ville Husso specialty. If you're going to bet on a parlay, Randy, on FanDuel Paradise Sportsbook <laughs> promo code SMALLS, that is something that you should definitely put money down on, is that Husso is going to allow an early goal. It was unbelievable. So Gambrell scores early. The Blues come back to tie it on a goal by Vince Dunn. Jordan Cairo gives the Blues the lead, but Tomas Hertel comes back to tie it for San Jose before Ryan O'Reilly put the Blues winner into the net. They they put Patrick Marlowe in the penalty box. That is a gutsy lineman. He is going to break the all-time games record, and he put him in the box for that. Oh, baby, can the Blues take advantage? Oh, they did. Shoot, they score! Ryan O'Reilly with a power play goal. They've made it 3-2. to two. A face-off violation leads to a face-off win and a goal by the Blues, and they're up by one here with 15.38 to go in the third period of play. Jordan Kyrou scored his second of the night at the 1551 mark. The Blues get uh, an empty netter from our guy, David Perron, and they win it by a score of 5-2. Jordan Kyrou had kind of disappeared. I was thinking earlier in that game, does he still play for the Blues? And then he gets a couple against San Jose. That was a big bounce back for him and a key victory for the Blues. A key victory for the Blues, and I love how they get the call on Marlowe and the Blues immediately take advantage yeah. of that because that's what this team needs to do. You need to take advantage of the bounces that you get. So now the Blues are sitting in that Honda West Division, still in fourth place, tied with Minnesota in in points, but the Blues have played two more games in Minnesota. The Blues are six behind Vegas and three behind Colorado and notably five ahead of the Kings. That's another thing we have to keep in mind because the Blues don't see the Kings much anymore. Actually, I believe they only have one more game left with L.A. And then after that, it's going to be Minnesota. It's going to be Vegas. It's going to be Colorado. So the teams that are ahead of the Blues in the standings are the teams that they're going to be facing primarily for the rest of the season. I was trying to pull up the schedule to see. 
what they had left. But no, you're you're absolutely right. And it's not great news, obviously, about Oscar Sundquist and no. about Tyler Bozak. You know, you, he's day to day. We're not really sure when he'll return either. So the Blues definitely now knowing that they're dealing with more injuries and they're dealing with yet, yet again more obstacles that are coming their way this season. It seems like this Blues team just absolutely cannot catch a break. But to continue to find ways to win in the face of consistent adversity, I think really says a lot about this team. And Bozak appears to have another concussion. Obviously, Kyle Clifford running into uh, Sunquist the other night. And Sunquist has been one of those guys where the Blues have won when he's in the lineup and they haven't been nearly as effective when he hasn't been in the lineup. Good good to get Jaden Schwartz back. And that's a big part of the reason that the Blues have succeeded in the last couple of games is because he provides an element that they were just missing. They They needed to have his... Defensive conscience, I think, is the best way to put it. He cares about the, the defensive end of the ice. He's he's solid on the forecheck, and he's made a big difference in the games that he's been back. He's one of those guys that when he's out on the ice, you know that he's flying around, he's making plays. He just makes everyone around him better. Coach Craig Berube, why has the defense overall been better? Well, I think it's just like we talked about before, uh, everybody being committed out there when you don't have the puck to uh, keeping, you know, keeping your net protected. We're doing a better job protecting our net and having people there and, um, you know, just making sure things are sorted out. And, and really, you know, playing good defense comes down to a commitment, um, you know, having good sticks, heavy sticks, being heavy in your own zone battling. And, and you got to also make some desperation blocks and and stuff like that so i think our guys you know are really committed to it right now that's good to have but let's see if they can do it against vegas and by the way that one game against la is a makeup game for the one that was postponed last week but michelle you look now the blues are at vegas tonight they're Mm -hmm. at minnesota on thursday then they've got anaheim and then it's tough for the rest of the way colorado vegas minnesota colorado arizona colorado again minnesota Anaheim, and then Vegas. That's how you wind up the season. No more Kings, just a few more Ducks, no more Sharks. It's going to be tough for the Blues. The entire month of April is going to be such a gauntlet. It is such a grind. <laughs> Looking at this schedule, you do not get one game where you think you can rest on your laurels in any way. No, and the only advantage that I see that the Blues have is that they'll at least get some rest time. The other teams haven't played as many games as the Blues because all of the other teams have had more issues with COVID suspensions, COVID postponements, COVID cancellations, whatever you want to call it. And the Blues have not had to deal with that on a high level this season like other teams in the division have. So that's the one advantage that they have is that those teams will be playing pretty much every other night, if not back-to-backs, and the Blues will get at least a little bit of rest. A little bit of rest, and let's hope no more injuries. Yeah, and Robert Thomas is going to be back. He might even be back tonight, as a matter of fact. But you're going to spend the rest of the season without Sonny. You're probably three weeks away from getting Barbashev back. Pareko is a question mark. You never know with a back. That's a dicey situation. So they just have to win with what they have. It, it's I, I know it's totally cliche, but it is next man up. And hopefully a guy like De La Rose, Jacob De La Rose, Jacob. can uh, replace Sonny and be reasonably effective in that role. He's a pretty good player. And I thought before the season started that he might be able to follow in Sonny's footsteps. Well, now he'll get that opportunity. And Dakota Joshua has kind of been a revelation. Who would have thought that he would be a player that the Blues could utilize effectively and he could be a big part of what they're doing? Is he the biggest surprise of the season? For me, he is. Me too. Because I had literally never heard of him until he came up. (laughs) And I would think after he gets his first goal in the NHL, it's a good story. But then to see him continuously come out and, and make his presence felt, I think has been really impressive. 
That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And next week, we have Cardinal baseball. That's right. right. The Cardinals will be back in regular season play. Eight burning questions about the Cardinals. Our first one coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Prepare to initiate burn. O'Neal, deep right at the wall. Arnado Carlson hits it through. What a throw by Yachty. Eight burning questions for the Cardinals 2021 season. Number one. Michelle, the same question that we had throughout the offseason applies today. (laughs) Do we have faith in the offense of the Cardinal outfield? And right now, Let's assume, and I think that's, by the way, a stretch because Harrison Bader is hitting 120, but let's assume that on April 1st in Cincinnati, the outfield is Tyler O'Neill in left, Harrison Bader in in center, Dylan Carlson in right. Do you have a comfort level with that group? If it's a scale from 1 to 10, Randy, I'm going to clock it in at a, at a six. That's where my confidence level is. In regards to the Cardinals offense as a whole, until I see them as a collective turnaround, I'm going to lean on what I've seen in the most recent past, which is the past few years, and a stagnant and uninspiring offense. Now, I understand that the Cardinals wanted to know what they have in these young outfielders. They moved Dexter Fowler out of the picture so they can give them playing time. And I always take spring training with a grain of salt, uh, but it's hard not to look at that 120 from Harrison Bader and know what we've seen in the past and not feel great about that heading into the regular season. But I will say I have pretty much, I I don't want to say I feel like it's a certain thing with Dylan Carlson that he's going to emerge because anything can happen in sports. But I was very encouraged by what I saw from him when he stumbled a little bit in his initial Uh, call up to the big leagues, got set back down, made the adjustments. And then what we saw from him down the stretch last season was really encouraging. So I have a feeling that Dylan Carlson's going to be fine and he's going to figure it out. Tyler O'Neill looks great in spring training. If anyone is inspiring confidence that you should have faith in the offensive production of the outfield, it's it's Tyler O'Neill. But I don't I don't know if that's going to be consistent. And with Harrison Bader, there still is a question mark there. I actually don't expect Tyler O'Neill to be consistent, but I look at him as a number six, number seven hitter. Can he do a little bit better what he's done with his career? I'm I'm telling you what I'm hoping for from Tyler O'Neill. I'm hoping that he hits 20 home runs out of the six hole. I'm hoping that he has like a 770 OPS. I don't expect him to get on base a ton. I expect him to slug. And I'm hoping that... Uh, he can do that. Hit 20 home runs, slug, and have maybe a 770 OPS. In his best year, and that was his rookie year, 2018, he had an 803 OPS and nine homers in 142 plate appearances. So I think he can hit 20 to 25 home runs. I think he can get to that 770 OPS, and I think he can be a number six hitter. That's what I hope for him. By the way, in spring training, 394 batting average, 412 on base, 67 slug, a couple of home runs. Mm -hmm. But I'm like you. You don't believe what you see in spring and don't believe what you see in September. Harrison Bader concerns me because I've kind of reached the point where I believe the league has caught up to Harrison Bader. And I don't know that he's going to be able to turn it around and catch up to the rest of the league. If you look at what he has done throughout the course of his career, 
He started off his first year, 235 batting average, 659 OPS. And the Cardinals look at OPS. They don't care about batting average at all. I do. Next year, <laughs> batting average 264 with a 756 OPS. And then his next full season, 128 games, he hit just 205 with a 314 on base and a 680 OPS. Then last year, 779 OPS, despite a batting average of 226. But I'm looking at that batting average, the fact that he had 24 hits in 106 at-bats, and that seems to be where he's headed. He just doesn't get his bat on the ball enough. So I kind of think Lane Thomas. So I'm going to put Bader, if I'm going on, on your scale of 10, I'm going to put Bader as like a two. I'll put O'Neal as a, a four. Okay. And then Dylan Carlson, I'm I'm reasonably confident in. If I I, I can't put Tyler O'Neill at a four. I, I, he only gets 3.3. So Tyler O'Neill 3.3 gets a two. Harrison Bader out of 3.3 gets a point five. And Dylan Carlson, he's hitting 258 this spring. He's got a good OPS 780, and he's just essentially a rookie. I think he's going to be fine. I think he's going to be what the Cardinals have projected that he would be. So I'm going to go with him being a 2.8. So uh, if you add that up, it's actually not too bad. I'm, I'm probably in that six range with you. And it's kind of, we've had hope in this group for a while, but there there's always been a, a reasonable excuse or a reasonable argument that you could make as to why we haven't seen enough out of X player, or then we had the COVID disruptions or, you know, the, the offense as a whole isn't really doing well. There's always been one thing right. or another that you can look at to maybe make the argument as to why these guys haven't gotten enough run. And we haven't had enough of a sample size with these young outfielders as a whole. But 2021 is the year where all excuses go out the window. Dexter Fowler is no longer an obstacle here. These guys are going to get enough at bats. They're going to get enough playing time. And you're really going to find out what you have in these guys. Lane Thomas is the X factor, in my opinion. He's 25 years old. He's always hit for the Cardinals at the minor league level. They're giving him an opportunity this spring. If he's not even with Harrison Bader defensively in center field, he's a shade behind Harrison Bader in terms of his defensive ability. I kind of think that by the time we get to June, Lane Thomas might be the Cardinals quasi everyday center fielder if if you have six games a week i would think by the time you get to june thomas will play four bader will get two if thomas is just a shade behind bader defensively and the argument to keep bader on the team and keep him starting is because he's an elite defender why then is he getting more run or more of a, a leash i should say than someone like lane thomas I believe this goes back to, and it's not a contract thing, but it's a perception thing. It's what the Cardinals think of Harrison Bader. Good guy, front man. When, when you uh, put, turn out your baby blue jerseys, yeah. he's your front man. Media he, friendly. He's a, a face of the franchise guy, and I think they want him to succeed, and they see the ability there. I'm not saying that he doesn't have the ability. He's just not executing the ability, and he's had plenty of opportunities to do that. Now, his problem might be Jeff Albert because Harrison's a guy that likes to simplify things. And Jeff Albert is not a simplify kind of guy. He's a guy that gives you a ton of information and says, go hit. And I don't know that Harrison's skill set and Jeff Albert's teaching, I don't know if they mesh. I just get the sense that there might be a disconnect there. Whereas I get the sense that Lane Thomas might be 
more amenable to the teachings of the Cardinal hitting coach. I say this, Randy, with all due respect. Can you isolate one Cardinals player that Jeff Albert's approach has really paid dividends for? Mm, not that's here anymore. Who were you no. going to say? Wonger got better. Okay. Um, and Dexter Fowler was efficient yeah. for you last year. I don't know if that has to do with Jeff Albert or any of his teachings, but that's one of my biggest questions is, is it the chicken or the egg? Is it the approach that's prohibiting some of these guys from maybe going out there and being more natural in their approach to hitting? Are they two in their heads? And that's why we're seeing this stagnant offensive production from them or is the talent not good enough and it really has nothing to do with the information that they're that they're being given michelle sometimes coaches just need to stay out of the way bill belichick when he had lawrence taylor saw lawrence taylor sleeping in meetings showing up late for practice bill belichick was the defensive coordinator of the giants parcells was the head coach and they knew that he was going to show up on sunday just stay out of his way and he'll be great and that might be the way it is for a lot of hitters just Hey, don't bother them. Let them do their thing. There's a reason that they got here. And let them rely on their natural ability. Go back to Tony Gwynn. uh, And I mentioned this too much, but he's the best pure hitter I've ever seen. And he would say, see the ball, hit the ball. It was that simple. Now, he had tape. He was really ahead of everybody else in terms of using video. But at the end of the day, see the ball, hit the ball. And I don't believe that's the Cardinals' approach to hitting. And I think for some hitters, it's that simple. And... It does need to be simple for guys. And hopefully the the Cardinals will allow their hitters to maximize their potential. I don't think that they're going to. But especially these outfielders, O'Neill seems to be getting better this spring. We talked to him during the offseason. He said there were specific things he worked on independent of the Cardinals to get better. Dylan Carlson appears to have natural ability. Lane Thomas, as we said, hit at the minor league level. I just don't know if Harrison Bader can lay off of that slider from a right-handed pitcher and be consistently strong offensively against both lefties and righties. How long do you think the leash is? Do you think it's... I think it's two months. I was just going to say two months. April and May. Okay. And then it's Lane Thomas time? Yeah. And by the way, the Cardinals do like Austin Dean. They got him in a trade with the Marlins before last season. We saw a little bit of him. I don't get the Justin Williams thing. I'd be surprised if he were on this team. And let's not leave out John Nagowski, who is going to grab an outfielder's glove and has hit the daylights out of the ball this spring. Mm -hmm. And he's the kind of guy that I give an opportunity to. If If the previous administration was willing to play Matt Adams in left, this administration should be willing to play John Nagoski in left and move a guy like Tyler O'Neill to center. O'Neill can play center field. If Nagoski is going to keep hitting like this, you got to find a spot for that bat in the order. I really wonder if 2021 is the year where the outfield carousel stops and these guys start to cement themselves as the everyday guys because it seems like we've been talking about one iteration of the runway being backed up with Cardinal outfielders or another for so many years now. And the guys that the Cardinals decided to part ways with, whether it was a Marcelo Zuna or Randy Rosarena, I mean, the list can mm-hmm. go on. They have seen success elsewhere. So I think more than any other aspect of this team, this outfield has the most pressure on it to perform. And the Cardinals are probably looking at this as the most pressurized part of their team, too, because they made the decisions to, to stick with these guys. All right. Let's give you the names then. Tyler O'Neill, Harrison Bader, Dylan Carlson, Austin Dean. Lane Thomas, Justin Williams, and just for fun, we'll throw John Nagoski in there. Those are seven names. 
I see one where I see the merry-go-round stopping for sure. Can I guess? Yes. Dylan Carlson? That's it. Do you? <laughs> That's are, the only one that I would write in Sharpie. So That's our, for sure. our question at the beginning of the segment is, do we have faith in the offensive production of the outfield? I'd have to say at the end of the day, no, for me. And with Dylan Carlson, we're putting a lot of faith into him based on an incredibly small sample size mm-hmm. of a really young player. Of course, he has a ton of talent, and we think eventually he's going to be a major foundational piece for this Cardinals team. But he is really young, and it, sometimes it takes a while for that to happen. So I think even though we're saying we'll write it in Sharpie, it might not be a while before we see that type of player. And the next Cardinal outfielder in the system is superfluous H. Jahan Torres, but he's not going to be ready, I don't believe, in 2021. So if the Cardinals need an outfielder at the trade deadline, maybe that's something that they do. At the trade deadline, you might have fans back in the stands. If you feel like you're going to take a shot at winning this year, then they might need to trade for an outfielder come trade deadline time. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. We've got Take It or Leave It on this Monday morning on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. With Michelle and Emily, I'm Randy. Great to have you with us. It is time for Take It or Leave It on 101 ESPN. Michelle, it is March 23rd. It is national in the United States of America. Chip and Dip Day. Take it or leave it. You partake. Uh, I'm going to take it. Oh, actually, Randy, I have to leave it. I was going to say, now that you've brought it to my attention, I'm going to take it, but I actually started a three-day cleanse today. You did? I did. This great company, a local company, Beats and Bones, has these great juices and overnight oats, the whole deal. They can get you set up for three days, and I started it this morning. I completely forgot. I just started it as my juice is sitting right in front of me, so unfortunately, no, I cannot participate. I am actually starting a three-day chip and dip cleanse. Oh, my God, amazing. Congratulations. Yeah, kind of ironic. Yeah, weird. Surprising. So, yeah, for the next three days, all I'm going to eat is... Is chips and dip for three days. <laughs> three days, yeah. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Yep. And snacks. I should do that, shouldn't I? You should. You can document <laughs> it, Randy, on your Instagram. RJ Carriker. Content. Yeah, we need to get followers uh, at M Smallman at RJ Carriker. I'm closing in, by the way, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna put you on the spot on the air. Oh shoot. Okay. How about that? So for the person that passes us, like. Uh, here's what I'm thinking. I'm going to do the T-shirt. I'm going to do the autograph photo. I'm going to do the bumper sticker. Okay. But if I would take us for a lunch after everybody's, after we're past COVID, so this summer, okay. uh, across the street to the Post Sports Bar and Grill, would you join me with four other people for a lunch at the Post uh, for the person that is the person that passes my go- my golden retriever on the uh, Instagram? Okay, let me get this straight. So there are... The person that, <laughs> the follower that gets you past Golden, well, I don't want to say right. her name. We don't want to yeah. give her any shout no. excuse me, passes you. You're going to allow that person to bring themselves and three friends to a lunch with you. And I'm buying, yeah. And you're buying for four people? Four people plus you, if you come along. And you're buying for me? Yeah. Well, Randy, if it's free, it's me. I'm there. Okay, good. Um, But this is the problem that you're going to run into. And a bunch of our great listeners who are very savvy texted in and said, then people are not going to follow you, Randy, because they're going to wait to see until you get close to that number because now they want the payoff. So what you need to say is from this point until you pass her, anyone in there is eligible. Good call. 
So we'll do because that. Because you want to yeah. encourage people to right. follow you. Yep. And, and a lot of people so, will lie in wait, Randy, until they see that number. Idea. Yeah, that's a good idea. So between now and uh, let's just get the numbers right. And once again, go to the Instagram. Set up an account. Heck, Instagram is fun. And uh, go to Instagram and follow not only Michelle at M. Smallman. She's trying to get to 10,000. <laughs> uh, and I'm just trying to get to like 2,700. Uh, but if you follow us, and I'm at 2556 right now, uh, you very well could get a great lunch out of it. So anything between 2556 and uh, when I pass this dog. <laughs> this dog. Uh, and the dog's at 2670. So I'm a little over 100 behind. So anytime between now and when I pass the dog, you may be the person that uh, goes to lunch. That sounds like a fun day. We'll do it, yeah. It'll be fun. Hopefully they're fun listeners. Oh, yeah, they will be. Um, yeah, follow me if you and want. we'll have some chips and dip. Yeah, there you go. I was going to say, you can follow me, but you'll just get, like, bummed out of line eye content. <laughs> Still not over it. Okay, Randy, so we're going to talk about this later in the show, but Deshaun Watson dealing with some legal trouble. Um, he has seven lawsuits filed against him on behalf of women alleging inappropriate conduct and sexual assault by him. Um, they are massage therapists that he contacted on Instagram. But take it or leave it. Despite these legal troubles, there are still a handful of teams in the NFL that are not deterred and want to sign Deshaun Watson. I am going to take this, and I believe I'm taking it because there has not been a criminal investigation yet. I think once a criminal investigation would start, that would change teams' minds. But if it's only a civil investigation, I think NFL teams are shallow enough to say, that's no big deal. It's only a civil case. I think that's the way it'll work. What do you think? I agree. I think even if it was a criminal case that you'd still have teams that were interested in in trading for him because they might think they could get a better value. Buy low, right? Yeah. All right, Emily, 65780 is our Air Comfort Service text line. What do you got for us? From the 636, take it or leave it. Loyola Chicago makes it to at least the Elite Eight. Got to take it. They've got God on their side and they look... They're, they're a te- they should have been a three seed anyway. I mean, that's a really, really good team that yeah. they have. So yeah. I would not bet against them. I'm with you. All right, let's take it one step further. From the 314, take it or leave it. Loyola Chicago can win the NCAA tournament. I don't know. I mean, I- I'm going to go ahead and take it. They can do it. If they can beat Illinois. They dominated Illinois, mm-hmm. who is, I mean, say say what you want about the tournament. Illinois was definitely one of the best three teams in the country. Yeah. And Loyola Chicago had them on the ropes the entire game. I mean, they never even gave them room to breathe. So, yes, I think that they could win. Here's the thing, though. Gonzaga is a fine Jesuit institution with three All-Americans. Loyola is a fine Catholic institution with one. But they have Sister Jean, Randy. I'm sure Gonzaga's got somebody on their bench. But not Sister Jean. And Sister Jean is there, which I think really brought a little extra oomph to her request to the big man upstairs. Yeah. She was there. She gave the pregame prayer. Pretty strong. Come on. How are we supposed to compete with that? It's hard. It's really hard. That's like a duffel bag of cash on steroids, you know? Like, that is an NCAA violation if you really want to look into it because she has a direct connect and she called in a favor. Four of 14 from three for the other side, too. Ugh. From the 573, take it or leave it, the Blues need to dial up Sister Jean when it comes to staying healthy. Oh, my gosh. Get her on the line. Is she going to help take out the it. Blues, though? She's probably a Hawks fan. 
She's a one-track mind right now, too. Yeah, she right. She's all about any Loyola. other team. She's yeah. channeling all her good fortune and her good favors into Loyola. Right. That's fine. <sighs> you know, when she's sitting there in the wheelchair with the little flower lapel on her wrist, her mask on, she looks so great. I was like, really? Really? This is what this tournament does to you, Randy. It makes you think bad thoughts about a precious elderly nun. That's a great point. This is what sports it's- does to people. It turns me into the worst version of myself. It's great. No, it's awful. <laughs> From the 636, <laughs> take it or leave it, another blue has a three-point game tonight. Um, I'm going to leave it. I don't think against the Golden Knights you're going to get that. That's what I was thinking, too. Tougher tougher opposition. Yeah. But hopefully a Golden Knight doesn't have a three-point game. Right. From the 314, take it or leave it, considering the future contracts due, the Blues would protect Jaden Schwartz over David Perron in the expansion draft. Well, I don't think they'll have to worry about that because Schwartz will be a free agent at that time. But if they were both signed, then yes, I do believe that the Blues would protect Schwartz over Perron. But the fact that Schwartz isn't, they're going to sign him until after the draft anyway. I don't think it's that, uh, it's a concern. That's, that would be such a difficult decision, though, even though, you know, Schwartz obviously makes everyone around him better. Perron is having a great year yeah. and is obviously such an important part of this team. Yeah. And I would guess now with the Sunquist injury, he Seattle might be less inclined to take a guy coming off of the torn ACL, too. That's a that's a bad hockey injury. Mm-hmm. So I don't think you have to protect Sonny now either. From the 636, take it or leave it. Arkansas makes the final four. I think I'm going to leave that. Let me grab my... Yeah, I was going to say, let me grab my bracket real quick. Arkansas. I'm going to leave that. They have to play Oral Roberts in the Sweet 16. Oh, that's going to be tough. Yeah. uh, I still like Baylor. I still like Baylor coming out of that South region. I had them at the beginning, and I'm not going to give up on them yet. Boy, what a brutal region that's been, though. What a tough time for the Big Ten, huh? It, I had three Big Ten teams in my final four. I thought the Big Ten was going to roll into this tournament like with their leather jackets on, smoking <laughs> heaters, like we're ready to rumble. And instead they shriveled. Yeah. Not great. Not great. And, you know, this tournament is more fun when you do not have a horse in the race. It's more fun when you're just following along with your bracket. Because now I would, I would just want to light this thing on fire, Randy. I don't even <laughs> care who wins anymore. I don't. I mean, my bracket's obviously busted. But the magic of March is gone for me. It's gone. Like, I, I take no joy in watching Oral Roberts be the Cinderella. I can't, I you, can't muster a smile. Do you think there's a chance that by next weekend you could... Watch some basketball? No. Because if Illinois, if if Illinois was an eight or nine. What about seed, Loyola? What about them? Sister Jean, you are gonna watch Sister Jean next weekend? Absolutely not. Support your fellow Hubbard Radio 101 ESPN salesperson, Maggie Toslowski. I was just texting with her. She said she was crying, laughing, listening to my pain on the way in <laughs> this morning. And I texted her and I said, you know what? You guys won fair and square. Great job. Happy for you. But no, I'm not gonna be cheering for them. I want, like I said, if they beat any other team other than my own, I would love this team. I would love to cheer for them, but I just can't do it. I'm Gonzaga's sorry. got a local guy. I don't care. <laughs> Randy, I'm defeated. I'm just, I'm despondent. I'm defeated. I hate March. I hate the month of March. I hate the stupid tournament. I hate college basketball. I hate sports. 
I love it. Hate it. Thanks, Emily. Thank you. Coming up next, our fresh take. We're halfway towards the Sweet 16. We'll put the rest together tonight. We'll have that for you on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> All right, we are halfway to the Sweet 16. More NCAA basketball action tonight. And here are the games that you have. And uh, you can tune in tonight on CBS and True TV. Oregon, the seventh seed, will play second seed Iowa. You've got Oklahoma on the heels of their win over Mizzou playing Gonzaga. Abilene Christian against UCLA. Ohio. The number 13 seed will play fifth seed Creighton. And then the other games tonight, LSU and Michigan, Colorado and Florida State, Maryland and Alabama, and USC, the sixth seed, will play third seed Kansas. And Michelle, we haven't touched on Missouri, and they were in the hunt on Saturday against Oklahoma and just couldn't come away with a victory. Mm-hmm. 72-68 was the final. Jeremiah Tillman, 16 points and 12 rebounds. Pinson was hurt. That hurt Mizzou, and they just couldn't shoot. It was it was not unlike what happened uh, with Illinois yesterday, only 37.9% from the field. And I know a lot of Mizzou fans are disappointed in that that early exit for the Tigers, but I, I would think even as a whole, if you look at what Conzo Martin has done with the program, even though you're bummed out, you still have to be at least pleased with what he's been able to do for Mizzou basketball. Yeah, and he's adapted too. He was a guy that coming from Purdue and coming from uh, that system with Gene Cady, it was always big, long, generally unathletic guys in the middle trying to just collapse in the paint and now he's put together a team that can shoot the three now you you lose Pinson he was 0 for 3 from three point land only played 18 minutes because he was hurt one of seven from the floor it's a different team when Pinson is healthy when you lose one of your best players it makes a difference that wasn't Conzo's fault and I'm with you I think that he's done a great job of rebuilding what was a disaster area when I mean they had FEMA in Columbia for the Mizzou basketball program when he took over (laughs) it was that bad Uh, and not only that he brought in Michael Porter Jr. Mm -hmm. who was supposed to be the savior and then obviously he wasn't able to play was injured and you think that that might be something that also derails him but he's still been able to build from there and you know that'll always be one of the big what if stories for Mizzou fans I'm sure but the fact that he could even get Michael Porter Jr. to Mizzou, get his brother there, get the recruits there that he did, and continue to have success, even though not as much as Mizzou fans would have wanted, but success without Porter Jr. does say something about him as a coach. 72-68. And by the way, it's hard to win in college basketball these days. As we've noted, the Illinois program, which historically has been great. You hadn't been to the tournament since 2013. Correct. Right? The SEC is really tough. Florida is back in the tournament, but Florida isn't as good as they've been for years. And you got a down year from Kentucky. But ordinarily, you look at the coaches in the SEC, when you're looking at Rick Barnes, when you're looking at Frank Martin, when you're looking at Calipari, I mean, you've got some tough coaches and tough programs that are willing to spend in the SEC. So for Conzo Martin to get this team to the tournament in this year. I'll take that. 
What do you think the goals for him are? If, if you're talking to a reasonable Mizzou fan, what do you think they expect out of Conzo Martin and Mizzou Hoops to be a tournament team every right. year, right? They've been, this is a program that's been to the Elite Eight twice in history. Right. Twice. So I would Never say, been to a Final Four. So I would say he is already exceeding expectations. Yeah, I, w- I would say so. At least matching expectations. Matching. That's a better phrase. And yes. their, their program is going to be fine. I, I if I'm in Jim Sturck's shoes today, I'm giving Conzo Martin an extension. I want him around. And he's a local guy. Yep. He, he wants to have local players there. So he gets Missouri. And he not only gets the program and gets the fan base, but he, for all intents and purposes, seems like a great recruiter, great leader of men, and somebody that these guys really want to play for. Yep. Let's touch on some of the other games. We don't have sick of it today. That's normally, normally a Friday staple here on Character and Smallman. Could have fooled me. I thought the opening segment was sick of it. <laughs> he kind of was. Uh, Jim Beheim, sick of it. I, I'm just yeah. not a Jim Beheim fan. They win 75-72, knock out the three-seed West Virginia. And who leads them in scoring? Buddy Bayheim. I know. With 25 points. Of course, right? Isn't Jim Bayheim like 90? What's he doing with a college kid? Great question. Great question. Uh, you know, we're not supposed to do math on this show, but we should. We should try to do that during the break, figure yeah. that out. But either way, of course, it's the Bayheims coming into the, the NCAA tournament to have some upsets. Yeah, Arkansas knocks off Texas Tech. The three-seed advances 68-66. Another Big Ten team falls. Number two, Houston over 10-seed Rutgers, 63-60. Houston was a really good team. For much of the season, Michelle, they would have been a number one seed, stumbled a little bit down the stretch, but they were ranked in the top three for most of the season. And Houston is legit. They could easily find themselves in the Final Four. Rutgers was a team, though, that a lot of people had pegged as a team to make a run. And that's why I give Houston credit, because Mm -hmm. I I think that was as much about Houston as it was about uh, Rutgers. I I think Rutgers could have made a run as well. How about Oral Roberts? They knock off Ohio State on Friday and then knock off seven-seeded Florida yesterday. Lewis in the backcourt takes the basketball, gets it into Trey Mann, and the clock starts. Mann will bring it across the timeline into the front court. Locke sets a screen out front. Mann dribbling over to the left side. Mann looking for room. Step back three for the wing. Around it off, no good. Fight for the rebound underneath. Lewis has it, turns, fires a three from the right corner. That's an air ball. Rebound tip. Still loose inside. It's over. It's over. Oral Roberts wins. Oral Roberts is going to the Sweet 16. 81-78, the final score. The 15 seed is among the final 16 remaining. What a game. What an effort by the Golden Eagles. They knocked out Ohio State in the first round and now have knocked off Florida. Oral Roberts, 81. Florida, 78. And a guy who has pierced the national consciousness is 6'8", 225-pound Oral, Oral Roberts forward Kevin Obinor. 30 points against Ohio State, 28 against Florida yesterday. He only averaged 19 coming in, but he has been dominant so far in these first two games of the tournament. Do, do you think they're the best story right now in the tournament? I would say Loyola is, yeah, and maybe it's because. But Loyola's been there. They've right, they've, they've gone on a magical yeah. run before. We're yeah. aware of Sister Jean. Right, and that's what, from a storyline standpoint, it's all about Sister Jean. But yes, and just in terms of what's happening between the lines, on the floor, Oral Roberts, to me, is the best story. I thought that it was amazing that they upset Ohio State and that 
it, their carriage might turn into a pumpkin there. But to take down Florida, too, I'm cheering. Mm-hmm. For, if I'm cheering for anybody, I'm cheering for them. And then Villanova knocked off North Texas to advance to the Sweet 16, 84-61. Villanova, a fifth seed, but, man, just so well coached. And their team always plays the game the way that coaches like it played. They they do the little things right, and they turn into big things. Randy, how's your bracket looking right now? Terrible. Yeah, minus Terrible. two. I'm looking at there's a lot of red on this bad boy. Yeah, And then Oregon State advances the 12 seed over the 4 seed, 80 to 70. The one thing that I still have going for me, heading into tonight, Michelle, is that I still do have all of my Final Four teams. You do? Yeah. Who did you have in the Final Four? Uh, oh, no, I didn't. I lost Illinois. I'm sorry. Yeah, I was going to say, what? So I'm trying to put you... <laughs> That's the denial part of it. I, I'm, I guess I'm in denial with my bracket. My final four was Illinois out, Ohio State out. And then on the other side of the bracket, I have Iowa and Alabama both still alive. Okay. But I don't care. <laughs> Couldn't care less. I hope you win. I'm not going to win. I picked Illinois to, oh, okay. You're not to win it all, all Randy. Right. <laughs> That's today's Fresh Take on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Coming up, we're going to talk some blues hockey with the voice of the blues, Chris Kerber, next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. This is Character and Smallman. We're talking everything St. Louis Blues as we head into the Blues Booth. The Blues Booth is brought to you by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. When it's time for new flooring in your home, real wood provides the best long-term value. Boardwalk has great floors for every home. Visit our three area showrooms and online at boardwalkhardwood.com. The voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, joins us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN. Blues and Golden Knights tonight. Pre-game at 8, the face-off at 9 here on your home of the Blues, 101 ESPN. And Chris Kerber, it's always good to talk to you on a Monday morning. How are you doing? Randy, I'm doing good. How are you? Everything's good. I, I liked the two wins, although that's it for uh, the Blues seeing the Sharks. They're done with them. Only one game left with the Kings. Uh, not much left with Anaheim. So the Blues are going to have a, a tough road here against the other contenders in the Honda West Division the rest of the season. Yeah, and you know, 19 games remain between Minnesota, Las Vegas, and Colorado for the Blues. And so you're going to have to see the the level of intensity stay high. You're going to have to see the uh, the quality of the decision-making on the ice and the ability to execute plays stay, uh, stay really sharp because the kind of mistakes that you can make against San Jose or Los Angeles or Anaheim or Arizona, you make those against these other teams right now, and the puck's going to end up in the back of your net. Having said that, considering everything that's happened to the St. Louis Blues, Randy, to have 25 games to go and a five-point lead over the team behind you for a playoff spot, you're in, you've done something pretty doggone well so far for the Blues this season. Curves, it just feels like the team can't catch a break when it comes to injuries. Oscar Sundquist out for the rest of the season with a torn ACL in his left knee. How big of a loss is that for the Blues? Huge, a uh, huge loss. He, this, this is one of the guys you consider to be the engine of the team. He can play in every scenario, five on five. He can play the power play. And, and he's one of your smartest hockey players, hockey sense-wise, from, from a penalty-killing standpoint. Uh, this season has just been like nothing I've ever at least witnessed before. And it's not just, you've seen plenty of players get hurt, but when you count Alexander Steen, 
and you count Vladimir Tarasenko, that is now nine players that are going to be out of the Blues lineup or have been out of the Blues lineup for a minimum of a month. Most of them six to eight weeks, and it's just unbelievable. Uh, And then you add the fact that Robert Portuzo missed 10 straight games. Scandella missed six. Uh, Jacob De La Rose missed eight. I mean, it's really something else. And that goes back to what I was just saying before. To have all that happen, and you're still in the thick of it, and you've still got some players coming back, Robert Thomas, hopefully in the next couple of games, things like that that are going to help you kind of try and right this, you know, keep the ship. You shouldn't even say right the ship because I think the ship is right. It's just keeping it going in a direction is really something else. And Joe brought Joe Vitale brought this up. And if the blues end up making the playoffs here, I think that it may work against uh, Craig, Craig Berube with uh, others thinking that, well, you're in a division with Anaheim or, or LA or something like that. This team makes the playoffs, even in this division with the injuries they have. Craig Berube has to get consideration for the Jack Adams. No doubt. No doubt. He's been he's done a magnificent job. Curbs, with Oscar Sundquist going down, we talked right when the season began about De La Rose and what he could become. Seems like he'll get an opportunity. What are you seeing from him since he came back? You know, he's he's just been steady. He's not flashy. You're, they, they just want responsible play on the defensive side of the puck in that uh, the ability to get it on the forecheck is still really important, too. And that's that's something that really from, from his first day, this team has liked with him in that lineup. And I think one of the reasons that they ended up re-signing him on top of that was because it, that kind of quality that they could expect is something that they wanted uh, in their depth. Now, he's not going to pick you up a bunch of points. You know, I mean, you still have Robbie Fabry. You had a hat trick the other day. You know, he was a little flashier on the offensive side of things. But if they can just get dependable, smart play, that sets up the next line. And that's a big thing here. What the Blues did in these last couple games, one line got going, left the puck in a good spot for another line to come in, and it started to roll that way. We also had a lot of good five-on-five play against San Jose in those last two games. Jacob De La Rose is one of the guys that's making that happen with those smart decisions with the puck, and I think that's what they like a lot. And by the way, Curbs, I've talked a lot about the Blues' record with and without Jaden Schwartz. Sunquist yeah. before, or no, after Saturday night, the Blues have played since the start of 2018-19. Blues have played 657 hockey with Sunquist in the lineup, 94-47-9, and 7-10-5, without him. So when you mention most important, uh, one of those engine-type players, he's right there at the top of the list. So you, and, I, and I've used your stats, too, on the air, so I appreciate the work you did there. <laughs> they, um, you know, if you talk to the Blues coaches, the two players that have, have are kind of considered the engine, the head of the snake of, of this team that for some reason makes it go are the two that you've done that with Schwartz and Sunquist. You can go back to the playoffs in eighteen nineteen, and you can, and, and, and I'll throw, I, don't, I wouldn't say engine quite so much with Ivan Barbashev, but one thing we saw when both Barbashev and Sunquist got suspended, especially because the blues counted on that line to, to so much the team looked just discombobulated without them in there. This one's a big one with Oscar Sundquist not being in there. He plays big, hard minutes. He's kind of like, if you remember when Ken Hitchcock, when things would go awry and he would eventually go back to that, uh, you know, Steen, Bacchus, and Oshie line, that was Ken's way of riding the ship. Oscar Sundquist, I think, has that ability. If he got put on a line, he was put on a line for a reason to get that line working hard. And now they're not going to have him. So this, 
this will be an interesting story to watch and hopefully and you know once again an amazing opportunity here uh, and with the you know Tyler Bozak missing that last game Dakota Joshua comes back in they put him on the third line at center now and and, and he looked pretty solid we we were, it was intimated to us that it's you know the opportunity for Dakota Joshua at some point he's going to become a penalty killer for this hockey team and that's going to expand his ability to be in that lineup Curbs, I want to know what your thoughts are on Billy Huso to this point this season. Randy and I were talking about it earlier in the show. It seems like almost a guarantee that he's going to let a goal in early on, and then he calibrates and, and settles in. But up to this point, what are your observations of Billy Huso? You know, that is something that they're going to have to figure out, and, and I don't know that you can blame Billy for that goal going in on the third shot. I mean, he made two good saves right leading up to it. His stick gets knocked out of his hand. He gets back in net, and then a guy roots a high blocker shot on him. But, um, but nonetheless, it, it it still has happened. And and so, what I think has to happen there, Michelle, number one, the team needs to bear down and not give up some early chances. Well, let's just start with that one. Let let's put it on everybody in front of Billy. Not don't give up some early grade A chances and 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 help the kid out along those kind of lines. That said, once that goal has gone in, it's sort of like, as Joe likes to say, it's like he, this guy just wants to get punched in the face once, and then he's awake and ready to go. <laughs> it's, like that first, it's like that first goal is a pack of smelling salts for him, right? Because after that, he's been really good. Look, this season, you're looking for Billy Huso to get you between 20 to 25 points, and he's on track to do that now. It's going to be a little tougher with your competition coming up here, but what he's done on the road, I think he's 6-0-1, 7-0-1 on the road, something like that, which is just outstanding. Uh, but but that's what you need from him. So, so far he's delivering what you needed to get from him. A victory in San Jose on the road, that allows you to now play Jordan Bennington against Vegas and a couple days off play Jordan Bennington on the road in, in Minnesota. And, and you keep going that way. So, so far I think, uh, you know, Billy Huso has been as advertised and almost what uh, you would have expected aside from that, just weird nugget of early shots going in that one is uh that's an anomaly that's hard to explain curbs 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 <laughs> I'm, I'm checking social media and it, i understand that now that jordan bennington has the big contract he's supposed to play every game <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what listen i i was wondering so so j- just for the fun of having the discussion right do you do you play Jordan Bennington against the uh, the San Jose Sharks in a back to back, and uh, you know a, a game that you're supposed to win and kind of lock down those two points, and then you'll take the chances against Las Vegas. Well, the advantage is having a goaltender, and you got to bring Billy Huso along. He's going to be your goaltender for a little while, assuming that he doesn't get taken by the Seattle Kraken mm-hmm. in the draft, right? So because you know you're going to protect Jordan Bennington, so you have to expose Huso from that standpoint. Um, although, yeah, I think he's outside of his, uh, his entry level deal. So that, so yeah, that would, that would impact that. So he is. So, so, you know, but they've managed him well. And, you know, listen, we don't talk enough about David Alexander, the blues assistant coaching and, and goaltending coach. The guy is so doggone smart. When you listen to him, talk about what, what you see in the goaltending and you get some one-on-ones with this guy and, and he opens up to you. It's, it's really something special. He's got these guys going really well. You know, he, he worked with Jake Allen before he was hired by the St. Louis Blues. Uh, he and Billy Huso have got a terrific relationship. I asked him for a scouting report on Billy Huso after the Blues traded Jake Allen. I've uh, got it written down on a piece of paper. And so far, everything he said is exactly what you've seen. Again, forgetting that 
weird first goal for shot stat, but you know, it's uh you're going to need your backup goalie to play a handful of these games. I think one of the reasons that you're seeing, and it's not, there's just the blues, but no, it's just the blues when it comes to the magnitude and, and number of these injuries. But the reason that I, this is a tough schedule, it's a hard scenario. And you're seeing a lot of injuries, I think because of it. Uh, but from a goaltending standpoint, you're also seeing teams needing their goaltenders to play well. I mean, where would mm-hmm. Montreal be if they hadn't picked up Jake Allen? Right. No doubt. You know, so it, yeah, no, your starter's got to play some games, but he's not going to play every one of them. Yep. And here's one more fun fact for you. This is another character stat. This is kind of the old H ratio from football. Uh, those first two games for Ville Husso, 0-1 with a 7.01 goals against and an 8-12 save percentage. Since those first two, 6-2-1 with a 2.85 goals against, a 900 save percentage in 505 minutes, and of the two regulation losses, one was a one-goal loss. So he's had one loss. There was an empty net goal scored there. It wasn't against him. So he's had one loss by more than one goal since those first two games, and he's gone 6-2-1 with a 900 save percentage. I think most teams in the league would take that from their backup guy. Yeah, you would. Yeah, you would. And and I think, and again, don't forget that, I mean, most of those games, you're just still talking to a guy that's in, within his first 10 games started in the National Exactly. So very little experience at this level from that standpoint. And sometimes, like and like you saw, you're going in, those backup goaltenders are going in on the second back-to-back. When the fatigue kicks in, when things change, I mean, that's, that's why it's crazy. That that's why I can't. It, it is amazing that that faceoff violation penalty was called on Patrick Marlowe, But you take the luck when you can get it, and and it's just one of those things where you need that guy to perform when 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 the guys are a little more tired and and maybe some teams are a little fired up. You know, San Jose was extra fired up. They lost the game before. So put all that together. Billy Huso's been just fine right now for the St. Louis Blues, and I think those numbers, that save percentage, which is the most important one. That's, that one's going to keep going up. Curbs, always good to talk to you. We'll be tuned in tonight. Thanks so much for the time. All right. We'll stay up late again tonight. Have some fun with it. We'll do it. See you later. All right. That is the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, joining us as he does every Monday morning here on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we've got the fight. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. Welcome back to Character and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. It's 836 on this Monday. The time check is brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Let's bring in Randy's competition to kick off the week for, week for the fight. Tim is with us. What's up, Tim? How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? We're doing great. How was your weekend, Tim? You know what? It wasn't bad. I got a, I got a honeydew list. I still got to do some work on and uh, I haven't seen the Missouri Tigers lose, but yeah. You know what? It, it is what it is. I think a lot of people kind of feel that this time of year. Uh, Tim, I'm an Illinois fan, okay? So I'm struggling <laughs> on this Monday. Um, Tim, what's the worst task on the honeydew list right now? Uh, you know what? 
there's kind of an entire backyard project that has to get done, and I'm trying to get it done before the rain comes today. So we'll see if we can get that done by uh, later tonight. Oh, I hope you can get it done, Tim. Yeah, let's get that done before the rain. But hopefully you win the fight today as well. All right, question number one for you. Which NBA player has the most league MVP awards all time? Is it Bill Russell, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, or Michael Jordan? I'm going to go with Michael Jordan. Happy 35th birthday to former Cardinal Dexter Fowler. What team drafted Fowler in the 14th round of the 2004 MLB draft? Was it the Rockies, the Cubs, or the Astros? I'm going to go with the Colorado Rockies. Tim, this March, Iona head coach Rick Pitino became the third coach ever to take five teams to the NCAA tournament. Who was the first? Was it Tubby Smith? Lon Kruger or Fran McCaffrey? I'm going to go with Lon Kruger. And which former NL MVP has the most home runs for a second baseman in MLB history? Was it Joe Morgan, Jeff Kent, or Ryan Sandberg? It's going to be between Kent and Sandberg. Um, You know what? I'm going to go with Jeff Kent. All right, we're checking our score here. Randy is on his way back in. Tim, did you fill out a bracket? Yeah, yeah, we we can call, you know, filling it out. At this point, it's all just, uh, you know, it's all just a cap shoot anyway. Is it busted? Oh, 100%. I mean, you know, it's one of those things where when, what is it, like there's like six double-digit seeds almost in the Sweet 16. So, yeah, I think, I think it's safe to say just about everybody's bracket's busted. It's just anarchy at this point. Randy, say good morning to Tim. It is. Tim, good morning. How you doing? I'm doing great, Randy. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. We appreciate it. All Thank right. you. Randy, question number one for you. Which NBA player has the most league MVP awards all time? That would be Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. <laughs> Happy 35th birthday to former Cardinal Dexter Fowler. Mm. What team drafted Fowler in the 14th round of the 2004 MLB draft? It would have been Colorado. Randy, this March, Iona head coach Rick Pitino became the third coach ever to take five teams to the NCAA tournament. Who was the first? Um, let's see. The other two guys that have done it. I actually looked this up this weekend, and I know that. Who were they? Lon Kruger's one. Illinois, Florida, K-State. I I seem to believe that it was Lon Kruger, so I'll go with him. And which former NL MVP has the most home runs for a second baseman in MLB history? I'll say Jeff Kent. Whew, Randy was not playing around on a Monday. Emily, ring the bell. Go crazy, folks! Go crazy! We have a winner and still Tire and Auto Centers, your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs. Tim, you did awesome. You got three correct. But then Randy comes in here. He struts in here. He gets all four correct without having to use any of the lifeline. He gets the jack. So I'm sorry, Tim, but he beat you four to three. I'm the worst. Hello? 
Yeah, you are. <laughs> you are, Randy. You just, you're like Loyola. You just crush dreams. You just crush mm-hmm. dreams out there. All right, well, let's run through our answers. So Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is the NBA player that has the most league MVP awards all time. He has six. Dexter Fowler was drafted in the 14th round of the 2004 MLB draft by the Colorado Rockies. Lon Kruger was the first head coach to take five teams to the NCAA tournament. So um, he did it with OU, Kansas State, Florida, Illinois, and UNLV. And the former National League MVP with the most home runs for a second baseman in Major League Baseball history is, is Jeff Kent with 377 home runs. Tim, thanks so much for listening. Thanks for playing, and good luck on that backyard project. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks. Have a great day. Coming up next on 101 ESPN, problems for Deshaun Watson in Houston. And they seem to be getting more serious as the days go by. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. With Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carricker. It's hard for Michelle today because Illinois lost yesterday to celebrate. <laughs> but today is National Goof Off Day in America. It is. Yes. So you can goof off even though you're kind of down and kind of out and kind of dispirited. I don't have the heart for it today, Randy. It's not a good day to have. You would be goofing off so much if Illinois had won. You better believe I would. I would be skipping around if Illinois had won, but they did not. So just like most teams in the tournament, Randy, today is all about surviving and advancing to tomorrow. (laughs) And hopefully you wake up tomorrow and the pain is a little bit less. That's all I'm hoping for at this point. Try to get by hour by hour. And I always wonder, because I'm kind of a removed sports fan at this point Mm -hmm. because it's our job. And so Mm -hmm. anything that you do for a living, it's not as pronounced when you're a fan, but your school's always different, especially when your school's never won before. But I forgot this feeling of being so incredibly bummed out when your team loses because you've poured so much hope into it and you allow yourself to be vulnerable and you allow yourself to believe and then your dreams are shattered by a kid who looks like he's 45 and dealing with a hamstring injury and and loves to saute vegetables. I don't even know. But I I just I feel a bigger connection, Randy, with this with the sports fan today because I now understand the heartbreak again. I've always thought the biggest connection, the most passionate sports fans were people that were graduates of universities. That university is never moving. Yep. You're going to be a graduate of the University of, of Illinois forever. Correct. You spent formative years there. I mean, really important years that are some of the best memories that you'll ever have. And... For that reason, there's no way a pro sports franchise can ever have that sort of a tie to you. We could have been tied to the St. Louis Rams, but they left. Correct. The University of Illinois isn't going anywhere. And it's different, too, because if, you know, before the Blues won, you can look at a player and they still make a lot of money and they still Mm. lead a great life. And you can be angry at said player because they're a professional. I could never be angry at young men and women who are going to school and chasing their dreams of being a student athlete. I I personally could not do that. So I feel like the pain is a little bit more, yes, because you have that connection to your school, but also because it's hard to get angry at an unpaid athlete. (laughs) Yeah. What about an Auburn football player? Just throwing an example out there. Oh, are you suggesting something, Randy? (laughs) Maybe. Maybe. Let's just say an athlete who isn't on the payroll. 
Yeah. Okay. Let's how go about with that. We, how about we phrase it that way? Yeah. How about this crazy Deshaun Watson story? And it's really troubling. Uh, the attorney for the women that are suing Deshaun Watson for improper contact. Uh, he today is going to present to the Houston Police Department what he says is evidence connecting Watson to several women alleging inappropriate contact during massages. Tony Busby is the attorney. He said he's going to request that a grand jury consider the evidence and the district attorney will decide whether or not to grant Busby's request for the grand jury. Busby has filed seven lawsuits against Watson on behalf of women alleging the inappropriate conduct and Apparently, there are going to be as many as a dozen lawsuits filed against Deshaun Watson. And, Michelle, there's also, it's not a paper trail anymore, but it's a computer trail Mm -hmm. that links Watson to these women. Yes, because he did find them on Instagram. And I think a lot of people, when they initially read this story, are thinking, well, why is Deshaun Watson, who's a professional athlete, who has training at his disposal all the time, trying to find massage therapists on Instagram, and he and his camp are essentially saying that because of the COVID pandemic, that his his usual therapy routine wasn't the same and he couldn't have access to his normal therapist. So that's why he reached out to these women on Instagram and that he also reached out to various friends, teammates and associates to get recommendations on which massage therapist he should try to connect with. So it would appear that he's in trouble. When you get this many women, and by the way, the the lawyer said there might be as many as 10 others, just a dozen lawsuits, but there might be more that are coming forward, which is, by the way, in the course of the pandemic, in, a, in the course of a year, that's pretty prolific to have that number of people that are willing to put their name next to a, a, a lawsuit against you and say that you've done this to one of the most popular people in Houston, Texas. I wonder how Deshaun convinces people that know these 12 people are lying. Yeah, so I've been reading a lot about this because this is always a very sticky situation. This is a very, you want to make sure that you have all the information available before you talk about something like this. And the people on Deshaun Watson's side of this are saying that he never crossed the line with any of these women. He is adamant that this is just a money-hungry attorney who's looking for a payout and that he's not going to... He's clearly a very rich guy. He signed a $156 million contract extension. He could pay off these women essentially for their silence if he felt that he did something wrong. But he and his camp are insisting that he didn't do anything wrong and that he's not going to give anybody a dime because he really wants to be found innocent in all this. But then you look at some of the things that are coming out from the attorney side and the women's side, and there are messages from Instagram, including one that says, sorry about you feeling uncomfortable, never were the intentions. Let me know if you want to work in the future. In the future, my apologies. And that's an unprompted message that mm-hmm. Deshaun Watson sent to one of these women. This woman did not follow up with him. The lawyer said that, um, you know, he had obviously put her in a position that she did not like. She didn't feel comfortable. She started crying. And then he reached back out to her afterwards to send this message. So I don't know how 
he would explain that. Like, that would be my first question to him is, how do you explain a message like this where clearly things were not okay and Mm -hmm. you felt the need to reach out to this woman on your own? It's not like she didn't lead you down this path. She didn't say anything to you in a message to get you to respond to something. This was not a a trap scenario. You knew that something was not okay, so you reached back out to her. And that's one of the situations. If he doesn't want to give up a dime, then he better be able to explain that one. On the flip side, there is one of the therapists who apparently has multiple claims. Once you get to one, why would you provide a massage to the guy a second time? If you're uncomfortable the first time, why would you work with him a second time? Maybe because you need the money. It's a pandemic. Maybe you weren't getting the work that you did before. I don't know. I can't answer that. that would, it, it just seems like... That's if there's one question that I would have for that person, if I were Deshaun Watson's attorneys, it would be why would you if you felt uncomfortable the first time you worked with him, why would you work with him a second time? That's a fair question. And they would have to answer that. Yeah. But the NFL is investigating. The Texans are allowing the NFL to investigate. The Texans say they aren't in the midst of the investigation at all. By the way, the attorney, Tony, Tony Busby was next door neighbors with the former late owner of the Texans, Bob McNair lives in the same neighborhood as Cal McNair. There's been a lot of speculation because of the division now between Watson and the Texans that perhaps Busby and the Texans are working in conjunction with one another. And Busby said at the beginning of his press conference last week or on Friday, he said, despite some speculation, I have nothing to do with the Texans. He he made sure that he was proactive yeah. in saying that he's not working with the Texans and trying to do this or file these lawsuits against Deshaun Watson. And also, how would the Texans even know that he was doing this? How would the Texans know that he was reaching out to women on Instagram to get a massage? How would they be able to get this information and put all of this into action? Unless they were following him. I don't really know. And, you know, we don't want to go down that road. That's, That's a dangerous path of speculation. But it just seems pretty unlikely that they would be able to not only find all of these women and and I there's a paper trail there there's yeah. a paper trail so I don't I don't believe in, in any of those conspiracy theories now there's also a report that several teams remain interested in trading for Deshaun Watson I got to tell you Michelle if I'm another team even if I'm the Jets if I'm the Dolphins there's no way that I bring that into my organization if if I've got Sam Darnold already if I've got Tua already And there's a chance that this could be taken to the police and they could investigate and there could be criminal charges against Deshaun Watson. There's no way I would give up what it would take to even if it was a diminished value to Sean Watson. There's no way I I would do that, especially. And I know this is bad to say, but it's true. It's your quarterback. You can't have the face of your franchise facing those sorts of allegations. He is the first person that's going to face the media before and after every game. If you acquire a player of Deshaun Watson's talent, he's going to be on every billboard around town representing your franchise and that city. And I'm with you as talented as he is until I found hard evidence that this was 100% false, that all of these women were lying and that none of these allegations were true. And how how do you really find that out? I mean, that would be very difficult to find out. If there was even 
a shred of doubt in my mind that he, in fact, did do this. There's no way I would pursue him as the franchise quarterback of my organization. No way. And it's a story to follow, and there will be news today when Tony Busby provides evidence to the Houston Police Department. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up tonight, more college basketball as the rest of the Sweet 16 will be fleshed out. We'll tell you who we think is going to win, like that means anything, next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Nine oh two on Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. If there's one thing the last three days have proven to us is that we don't know anything about college basketball (laughs) and March Madness. Tonight, you've got more action actually throughout the course of the day. Coming up at 11 o'clock, Oregon, the seventh seed will take on uh, Iowa, the number two seed. And uh, then you've got Oklahoma and Gonzaga coming up at 140, Abilene Christian and UCLA. How about that one? A 14 and an 11. Yeah. And uh, I kind of think that... uh, I don't think that UCLA might be a team to look out for here. It's crazy that that's a UCLA seed yeah, that we're talking about. It is. Uh, Ohio and Creighton, and that was one of my picks. I did pick Ohio in the first round, so I'm pr- proud of that one. Good job, Randy. 13-5 matchup there. LSU and Michigan, that one is, a, according to Hoyle, one versus eight. Colorado and Florida State, a 5-4 matchup. That's tonight at 645. And then later on, Maryland and Alabama, the 10-2 matchup. And USC in Kansas. Anything particularly intriguing for you since you did say earlier that you don't care anymore? No, I don't care about any of it. I just hope that everybody has fun, Randy. <laughs> okay, have fun. and uh, That's the thing. I, I have no inkling on any of this stuff. I thought right. Ohio State was going to be in the Final Four. I thought that they looked incredible. And who takes them down? Oral Roberts. I obviously thought, obviously thought Illinois was going to be the national champion and they fall to a great Loyola team. But still, I just think you can analyze this any which way that you want, and then the randomness of March inevitably takes over. It is incredibly random. And by the way, you mentioned the Ohio State loss to Oral Roberts, and East St. Louis product E.J. Uh, Liddell. He's was, from Belleville. Yeah, he's great. He went to right? Belleville West. Yeah, uh, Belleville West, I'm sorry. Uh, he He's great. He led them in scoring at a game-high 14 rebounds. And then he did miss a free throw in the final minute, but Oral Roberts won it. It's March Madness. And Ian J. Liddell, by racist people on Twitter, is vilified and has his life threatened, and you've got it up in front of you. What sports fans or what gamblers will do is just incomprehensible. to Or human beings in general. So E.J. Liddell, as you mentioned, after Ohio State falls to Oral Roberts, posts this on Twitter. He says, honestly, what did I do to deserve this? I'm human. And he posts screenshots of two different messages or set of messages that he received on Instagram. One was from a guy who I'm going to paraphrase all of this because there's so many words and phrases in here that I can't and won't say. Um, but he basically says, you folded, make, make the bleeping free throw clown. I hope somebody shoot you in your face. You are a bleeping bum. You're so bleeping terrible. I swear to God, I'm going to get a bleeping hacker so I can find out exactly where you be at so I can smack, smack the bleep out of you personally. I put that on my life. Where are you from? I'm going to pull up immediately. I swear to God, I want to kill you. That's just from one person. This one person sent one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. 
eight messages threatening his life. Then he posts another one. You're a bleeping loser. You should be embarrassed to even be on Instagram. You're fat. Uh, Shut your comments off. Words, again, that I won't say. Um, You're a disgrace. Don't ever show your face at Ohio State. We hate you. I hope you die. And then he... E.J. Liddell responds again and says, comments don't get to me, but I just want to know why. I've never done anything to anyone in my life to be approached like this. This is not me saying anything negative about Ohio State fans. I love you all dearly, and I felt nothing but appreciated since the first day I stepped on campus. And obviously, there was a massive amount of outrage directed at the people that would send him these messages. And there should be. And the Ohio State administration went to authorities, and they're trying to find out who sent the messages and seeing if there is criminal uh, culpability on their part. But as, as you said, how can one human being do that to another? A, over a game. B, to a guy that did lead your team in scoring. I wonder if Dwayne Washington got any tweets. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure every single player in this tournament has dealt with this yeah. at some point. But it's And primarily, I would guess that this is... 45, 55, 65-year-old people that are attacking a 19- or a 20-year-old young man, which is just unbelievable to me. But the level of of bile that these people have, the level of anger that they're willing to direct toward somebody, they need to get checked out. They, they've got mental issues. Big time. And, you know, I've been watching, there's all these documentaries and things that are coming out now talking about the dangers of social media from a mental health standpoint, from all of the, an addiction standpoint, all of these things that social media has done to our society and how there's virtually no regulation at all that you could say things like this to EJ Liddell, you could get your account suspended and then all you have to do is make another email address, Mm -hmm. make a new profile and you can attack him again. There's got to be something done where when people, speak like this to other people especially if you're threatening someone's life to where not only you can never be on social media again but you're held accountable for your actions i always said randy that there should be a tv show where you hunt down trolls and then you put the things that they say on billboards outside their work or outside their home imagine these people as you mentioned this is probably an adult that Mm -hmm. has a career maybe even has a family imagine if he had to have the billboard outside his house and have everybody around him know that he's the person saying this to a college age student who just went through a heartbreaking loss in a game that he's the one that put the blood sweat and tears into getting to that point and you may have cheered for that school or you may have lost money but there is no excuse ever to speak to someone like that no and and it just bothers me that these people are not held accountable no i agree with you and hopefully something will allow them to be held accountable. And by the way, I thought that EJ handled it perfectly. Uh, he, he was he didn't blast any Ohio State fans. He talked about how accepted he had been there. And I, I also find it notable that there are stories about what a great young man EJ is. And he's developed a relationship with a young Collinsville man, uh, a boy in Collinsville who's dealt with some physical issues over the course of the years. His name is Bentley Crayer from Redbud. And he met EJ at a high school game when EJ was obviously in high school and Bentley was, it was like four years ago, he was six. And EJ immediately latched onto him. And now Bentley has his bedroom full of Ohio State and EJ items. He actually set it up so that 
he could come late in the season to a game at Ohio State and watch EJ play. Uh, and EJ Liddell doesn't need to do this sort of thing. One of the nicest people, one of the nicest gestures that you could ever imagine. And here he is being attacked. And I just think about this from the perspective of somebody who gets a lot of gross things online all the time. And I'm an adult and it bothers me all the time, the things that I get. I get it every single day. I don't know if you do, but I get it every single day. Something that that really will bother me. And it can affect you mentally. And I think about college-aged athletes who... I mean, think about everything that he's gone through this year. Just any college athlete. They're going through a pandemic. They're not seeing people the way that they used to. They're right now in this bubble environment. And then you're getting these messages like this from strangers online telling you how worthless you are and that they hope you die. I just hope that schools are providing support to these athletes from a mental health perspective because sometimes you need the tools in place to deal with stuff like this. If Mm -hmm. This is obviously severe because he put this on social media and good for him for exposing these people. They deserve to be exposed. That's something I always struggle with because I want to post some of the things that people say to me. But then I think, you know, everybody gets it. Everybody deals with it. I'm always worried if I post someone and then they're going to come back at me even further. But I just wonder how many of his peers got messages that are the exact same and that they didn't yeah. share them and that maybe they're internalizing those feelings and that they feel scared or they feel threatened or they, you know, have their feelings hurt. Just all of these things that these these young men and women who are college age athletes are dealing with when it comes to social media. I hope that their universities or the NCAA provide support for them. And another part of this is that for them, I'm 58 years old and I don't need social media as part of my life. I use it as an avenue and a tool with what I do for Mm -hmm. a living. I want to communicate with you. I want to communicate with people. And I love the fact that they can. But if you're 18, 19, 20 years old, that is a big part of your life. It's a way that you communicate with everybody, not just your friends, but your your parents, your family. It's it's a more than just a tool it's a part of your life and so uh, and we both watched the documentary social what's it called the social dilemma yep and it is a real problem that young people have to deal with because there's no doubt that social media does cause mental issues for people oh yeah it's bad and um I don't know. Like you said, I'm to the point where if I didn't have this job, I wouldn't even want mm-hmm. social media anymore. I delete all of it. But it is it is great in so many ways because it, it connects us to people. And we get to hear from people that listen to our show that we would never hear from otherwise. And that is really cool. We get an avenue into athletes' personal lives that shed light on who they are as people rather than just athletes. I do think that it is positive in so many ways. But there are so many people out there who hate themselves so much. And that they that someone could even think those things about another human being, let alone type all that out to someone, is something that I cannot comprehend. I will never understand. But I do think that those people have got to be held well, accountable in one way, shape, or form. And tweets like that, uh, posts like that, they push John Mozeliak off of social media. Think of how refreshing it must be for Greg Amzinger to go through life not doing social media at all. It's probably why he's so happy. Yeah, and probably. And why he comes is. on our show every week and he's ready to go and, <laughs> and loves his life because he doesn't have to check his mentions ever. Right. But uh, Dexter Fowler dealt with stuff stuff like this. We've Terrible. seen a, we've seen a lot of instances of that here locally, and I wonder how many athletes. If we just said 
tomorrow, I want every athlete to take a screenshot, whether you're professional, amateur, whatever. Take a screenshot of a message that you've got recently that is hateful and or threatening mm-hmm. to you. And I guarantee you, every single one could probably share something. Here's the one that got me. With a guy as prolific on social media and as good a human being as Chris Long oh. is, for him to leave social media for a while because of the grief that he was getting from people, other people on social media, that tells you all you need to know, know about how dark it is, yeah, right? definitely. That, that Chris would leave. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, we talked earlier about our first burning question, and it is, what sort of confidence do you have in the offensive ability of the Cardinal outfield? We'd love to hear from you. You can use the Rhino Shield mic drop feature with the 101 ESPN app. Your your uh, mic drops are welcome. Also, you can text us 65780, the Air Comfort Service text line. Are you comfortable with the Cardinal production in the outfield? Do you have faith in the offensive production of the outfield? That's next with Michelle and Randy on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Day on the show leading up to opening day for the Cardinals, we are going to ask a burning question, eight burning questions. We'll have five for you this week and then three next week before the opener. And today's question is, do you have faith in the offensive production of the Cardinal outfield? You can send us a mic drop with the Rhino Shield mic drop feature. Just get your 101 ESPN app up and running and you can use your voice to send us what you think if you have faith in the production of the Cardinals outfield. Or you can send us a text 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Carriker and Smallman. And Michelle, you and I touched on this earlier, and I couldn't do the math in my head because I'm totally incapable, but I did the math <laughs> during our break, and I have determined that out of 9.9, basically a scale of 10, okay. my faith in the Cardinal outfield right now mathematically stands at a 4.4 in the offensive production of the outfield. A 4.4? Yes. That's less than it was earlier in the show, I think. So how That's because you... my math was bad. Oh, so your math was off. So break yeah. this down for me then. How did you arrive at a 4.4? Okay. As much as I love Harrison Bader the person, don't love him the, as uh, a hitter. Okay. And I think he's a good, really good defensive center fielder. Yeah, yeah. I've got him out of 3.3. My faith in him becoming a productive offensive player is at 0.4. 0.4. Yes. So I hope I'm wrong. You I, don't think it's as simple as he needs to put it all together, maybe figure out right-handed pitching. No. You think it's done. Unfortunately, I believe he's declined and declining as an offensive player. Currently hitting, what is it, 120? 120 on the spring. Training? And I know okay. he's had some injury issues this spring. And hopefully he'll find it. I'm still at coin flip level for Tyler O'Neill, so I've got him at a 1.8 out of 3.3. Still low, but what is he? He's really separated himself in spring training. He's hitting 394. He's had a great spring. But what happens when we get to 50 at-bats, 100, 150, 200? Is he going to be able to maintain that? I hope he does, and that's why he's a a lottery ticket for me. He's a coin flip, so Mm -hmm. I I hope that they can win. Actually, lottery tickets are – Bader would be more of a lottery ticket. He's a coin flip. And then I'm I'm at 2.2. I'm two-thirds confident that Dylan Carlson, that's for this year, is going to be a productive offensive performer for the Cardinals in the outfield. Can I throw a wrinkle into this? Yes, it's what, not math related, is it? No, it's not. Well, I might have you adjust the figures. Okay, got it. But what if I throw Lane Thomas into the mix? Okay, if you throw Lane Thomas into the mix, I am going to say that I'm one-third confident in him. So I would have him at a 1.1. 1. 1. 
which would add 0.7, which would get me more than 50% confident. That would get me to a 5.1 out of 10 that I would have faith in the Cardinal outfield. I'm barely I'm more, above yes, 50%. I, I do have more faith in Lane Thomas. Maybe it's because of the unknown. Because, because he had dealt with COVID and we haven't right. seen him enough. Yep. So I, I have actually more faith in him becoming a reasonably productive Cardinal outfielder offensively than Bader. And by the way, I'm just talking about average here. I'm not talking about great. I'm not talking about turning into Giancarlo Stanton when he's playing or anything like that. I'm just talking about being Lee average. What do you think it says about the outfield as a whole, though, that we are the most confident in Dylan Carlson? Do you think it's because we've listened to the hype for so long and because we saw him when he came back to the majors after being set back down, down the stretch, he did show signs of something? Because normally, I think, heading into a a season and a situation where Dylan Carlson was going to get his first real crack at things, our expectations would be lower. Mm -hmm. We would think, yeah, hopefully he'll put it together at some point, but he's still a very young player who is going to get his first real shot at this, and hopefully he figures it out at some point in the season. And I wonder if the sample size that we have from the other guys has given us such little faith that we put more in Dylan Carlson. I think it is. I I agree with that. And... uh, I believe that the three-week stretch that we saw out of Carlson last year is the best three-week stretch that we've seen out of any of these guys, out of Bader, out of O'Neill, out of Thomas. So that gives me more confidence in him, too. And I, I do think that the Cardinals and Major League Baseball have generally evaluated him uh, pretty well. All right, from the 314, I like Tom, Thomas and Carlson. They can play. And Thomas Carlson... And O'Neill and Bader, one thing that we do know about this group, they're going to provide defense. Mm-hmm. When you have the Cardinal infield and the Cardinal outfield, arguably the best defensive team in the National League. Yeah, defense is not the concern no. here. The burning question is, do we have faith in the offensive production yes. of the outfield? And I have concern about the offensive production of the team as a whole. Yes, you know you're going to get something from Paul Goldschmidt. He's big fundy. Yes, you hope that Nolan Arenado lengthens this lineup and gives guys different looks. But you still have to look at the numbers that you've had from the guys who were with the team the past couple years, and they've been really uninspiring, really Mm -hmm. stagnant offense. That's been the main issue. You've won because of your pitching and your defense, not because of your offense. Now, here's some perspective. This from the 314. Of these guys, who would you want to come up to bat with a runner on third and less than two out. So just get the run home, get your bat on the ball, hit a ground ball to the right side, or hit a sack fly. Bader, Thomas, Carlson, O'Neill. Who do you have confidence in? Let's break it down easily. Not striking out in that situation. Uh, well, not O'Neill, not Bader. No. I would. I guess if I had to put my money on somebody, it'd be Dylan Carlson. Yeah, that's... That's the only one that I would be reasonably comfortable with. I don't think I would be comfortable at all with the other ones. And I'd still be nervous. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> uh, let's see. From the 314, no one has had the look like Bader has. Bader has no ceiling. He's gotten a lot of opportunities. And it is concerning that he appears to be regressing rather than ascending. But there's, they've been high on him, and they believe in him that he can put it together. And I would love to know what they've seen out of him, the Cardinals, that not only did they not want to move him when teams like the Mets showed interest mm-hmm. in him, but that they consistently have backed him and continue to give him a shot. And I wonder how long that leash is heading into this season. Is it two months? Will he get more of a shot after that if he's not performing? What, what I would love to know what their 
barometer looks like and what point he has to get to for them to feel comfortable with him. And I think they look last year. He played 50 games. And keep in mind now, John Mozeliak said this a couple of years ago at the Winter warm We do not evaluate players by batting average. So don't concern yourself with the fact that he's hitting 120 this spring or hit 226 last year or 205 the year before that. What the Cardinals look at is OPS. And last year, he had a 779 OPS, 336 on base, 443 slug. That's what the Cardinals are looking for. And regardless of how much he strikes out, regardless of what the batting average is, I guarantee you, if Bader has a 779 OPS, as long as he does, if he goes all year long with a 779 OPS, and by the way, an above league average 111 OPS plus, but if he has that 779 OPS from day one, he won't stop playing. It doesn't matter if he's hitting 205, doesn't matter if he's hitting 215, doesn't matter if he's striking out five times. He will be playing if he has a 779 OPS. Okay, well, let's say that happens. That happens. How does Lane Thomas fit into the puzzle? He needs Tyler O'Neill to not succeed. And by the way, I th- I do think that play six games a week, Bader might get four in center field with that OPS and Thomas a couple. I think they can still get Thomas easily three or four games a week because you aren't going to play Carlson every day in essentially his rookie season. And they do want to evaluate all of them. Mm-hmm. So if you have a total of 1,800 at-bats between your three outfield spots. Let, let's just assume. Let's go 550 each. So 15, 1,650 at-bats, 1,600. You can find 400 for each of your outfielders. That's the way to break it up is to give O'Neill, Bader, Carlson, Thomas each 400 to 450 at-bats. This one from the 314. I have to be realistic on a scale of 1 to 10. My trust level for this outfield to produce is at a 4.5. I just don't think Harrison Bader is what he is, and that's a below-average offense with really good defense. And Dylan Carlson, I believe, is overhyped by John Mozalek, so we are expecting greatness. But we're seeing is an above-average baseball player. But I'll give him time since he's young. And Tyler O'Neill, I hope he's finally got it together and he becomes the guy we think he can be. I hope that O'Neill can find it too. And I have more confidence in Carlson, not because of the Cardinals evaluation, but because of independent evaluations by MLB Pipeline and by Baseball America, who regarded Carlson as a top 20 prospect in baseball as well. So while you do have John Mozeliak saying, I wouldn't trade him, you'd have to get him out of my cold, dead hands. Other people that are independent of John Mozeliak have watched the guy play and say that he's the real deal. But how many of those guys were saying Randy Rosarena is a can't miss prospect? <laughs> Not many. You know, they no. were saying he's he could be okay, and then the Cardinals move on from him, and look what he was able to do. So you have to take all of those evaluations sometimes e- with a grain of salt. Exactly, you do. I do think that the evaluation process has gotten better over the course of the last. That's one thing where analytics has improved is the evaluating a young player appears to be easier for a team. Yeah, you don't know how a guy is going to turn out, but now I've seen the guy perform at the major league level, albeit for three weeks, but I know that that part of his game is there if he can just be consistent with doing it. Hey, we appreciate your text, 65780, the Air Comfort Service text line, and tomorrow we'll have question number two of eight burning questions for the Cardinals heading into the 2021 season with Carriker and Smallman. Next up, you're killing me, Smalls, on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. 
is totally killing Smalls right now? You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by BMW of West St. Louis. They make a BMW attainable for anyone who wants one. All right, uh, Michelle, you and I have been on a mission, and I really do appreciate your assistance in this. Yeah, of course. For me to pass my dog in number of Instagram followers. Yeah, what are you doing over there? I have just put a T-shirt and an autographed photo into an envelope for Brian Miller, who was the random choice last Friday to get the free T-shirt and autographed photo so that I could bribe people to follow me on Instagram. I'm 71 away, Michelle. I've got 2,600 followers. My dog has 2,671. So 71 away. We're closing in. We're closing in. So uh, this particular envelope is going out to new friend Brian Miller. Shout out, Brian. I have, uh, we have made a unilateral decision. Actually, it's not unilateral because Michelle helped out. (laughs) But not only does the, uh, does a random person between now and the time that I get to pass the dog in Instagram followers... Not only does the random person, you're not random, but a random choice, uh, get an autographed photo from Randy, a 101 ESPN t-shirt, and a couple of bumper stickers, but here's what we're offering. Once we're past this pandemic and everybody's comfortable going to a restaurant, we're going to go to the outdoor patio across the street from our studio at the Post on Olive, and we're going to have lunch together. So it's you and three other people and Michelle and I, so six of us, and I'm buying and we're going to talk sports and have fun and celebrate the fact that I have more Instagram followers than my dog. And you better believe Randy's going to document all of it for his IG feed. There is no doubt about it. Yeah. So they can follow Content. you Follow you where? At, at RJ Carriker. At RJ Carriker. That's right. Yeah, it's very easy on, on the Insta. Uh, and it, it's, let me be honest, I, I am not... Uh, I, I'm not going to give you Paige Spiranek. Uh, I don't look like her, so I can't give you that sort of content. But the c- content is going to be of high quality. Yeah, because, Randy, you're showing off parts of your life that people might not get from the show. You exactly. do a lot of bike rides that you're showcasing on there, your breakfast options I, sometimes. I, I, I think I was thinking about this yesterday, how I, I think it would have been just awful but awesome to have you on video yesterday for that game. I thought about it. I thought about doing like an Instagram live or a live stream mm-hmm. of some sorts. And then I thought, oh, by halftime, I thought I'm so glad I didn't do that because it would just be a live stream of me sitting there furiously staring at the TV. <laughs> by halftime, I had gotten, you had texted me. Mm-hmm. I got to the point where I had lost almost all hope. I thought they would come back and maybe have some adjustments, make a run at it. But Still, they were in such a deficit yeah. that I didn't know if they were going to be able to to muster the energy to come back and defeat them. Clearly, they didn't. Um, but it would have been a terribly boring live were stream. Were you fuming? Fuming. Okay. Fuming mostly at myself for putting myself in this position. Mm-hmm. I was fuming at myself for believing. And not only that, Randy, not only did I believe, I got everyone in my orbit to believe. Yep. So my phone went bananas yesterday from fellow Illini fans commiserating from other people who were not 
Illini fans that I convinced to pick Illinois. I was like, you don't want to miss this. you you got to get on this train now. They're going to win the national championship for the first time ever. I sent Saruti, Randy, my podcast mm-hmm. partner, a paragraph about why he's going to love Andre Curbelo. I gave stats about his life in Puerto Rico, how he came over by himself to America when he's 13 years old. He's crying on the, on the plane right over. He doesn't even speak English. And he's going to New York to pursue his dreams of playing basketball to get a better life for his family, how he writes and notes to his family on his shoes before every game. I sent him links, Randy, to highlight reels for Andre, Andre Curbelo because I was like, you're going to need a favorite player on this team when mm-hmm. they win the national championship. I had committed so deeply to convincing everyone to cheer for this team. And you know what? I'm wearing it today. I'm wearing it. Nobody taunted you, did they? Oh, are you kidding? We talked about getting hateful things on social media. You wouldn't believe the messages I got yesterday. I mean your friends, though. Texts. Oh, yeah, big time. Oh, did you? Oh, yeah, big time. Because I I do, despite what you might think, fraternize with some people from Mizzou. And they really enjoyed that Illinois loss yesterday. (laughs) You're killing me, Smalls. And you know what I said? You're at home, too. <laughs> right. You know? Hey, we lasted 24 hours longer than you That's did. That's right. Well, you're at home too, so maybe don't rub it in my face, okay? <laughs> oh, okay, well, speaking of being bummed out, Randy, we know how tough the Patriot way is, and we know that a lot of former Patriots players have come out after they've left New England and shed some light on how tough Bill Belichick's program is. Well, Colts, Colts cornerback Kenny Moore talked about his time in New England. He did a recent interview with Tyler Dunn of Go Long, and he says it was, quote, the longest four months of his life. He thought he was done with football my mental capacity and my mental space i just maxed out it was one of the low spots of my life because that's really what i felt like i'm probably not built for the league and having that feeling of you're not good enough that's a bad feeling you don't feel like you belong i lost all my joy and passion i didn't even want to play football i was depressed i was trying to fight my way out of it and then he closed right by saying it just felt robotic you don't want to do anything else but go home and go to sleep because tomorrow is about to be crazy i really felt like i was in the military that is a great description and from everybody that i've talked to around the patriots has been a patriot it is a joyless experience now if you're all about winning and winning is what you're able to subsist on and the joy isn't part of it then it's cool it's look back now Think about Tom Brady lasting 20 years doing that. Ridiculous. Yeah. But this is a guy that likes an extreme regime. I mean, think about what he puts his body through, mm-hmm. even from an eating standpoint. That guy doesn't even eat tomatoes, okay? He has no joy in his life anyway from uh, from a day-in, day-out work standpoint. So I think he probably fit in pretty well there. But imagine removing Tom Brady from that equation. Right. Because if you're a free agent or if you're a young player that's in that environment, you go there because you feel like you have a chance to win. And one of the main reasons why you feel like you have a chance to win is because number 12 is under center. Right. And when he's not there, and obviously they weren't good last year, but they're, they're gearing up to hopefully be better this upcoming year. But imagine being on that team without Tom Brady when the team is not good and you're still having to do the same thing day in and day out it probably was a real bummer and just go back to the belichick celebration at the parade when he was saying no days off that's you just won the super bowl you're in the midst of the greatest celebration perhaps of your career and the guy who's leading the organization is saying yeah but no days off which was ironic because he was taking a day off for the parade yeah kind of ironic so you're chanting no days off on your day off maybe he went back to the office afterwards
But did he put in a full day? Randy? No, he did certainly he re- did not. Did he really give it 100% that no. day? I doubt it. Then probably in the spring he went out on that six rings, is it? Five Seven. Rings? Seven? Oh, rings? no, six. Yeah, six, right? Six yeah, that's his boat. Yeah, six. He's got six. Six. Yeah. So Brady's got seven. That's right. Brady's got seven. <laughs> You're killing me, Small. Okay, well, speaking of the Patriots, we know that they signed, signed Cam Newton back, which was surprising to a lot Mm -hmm. of people but now the draft is approaching and a lot of people are wondering what the Patriots might have up their sleeves and on the Move the Sticks podcast Bucky Brooks and Daniel Jeremiah were talking about how the Patriots have been doing their due diligence on a lot of the quarterbacks and Daniel Jeremiah specifically said keep an eye like somebody on Trey Lance or Justin Fields those are the two that would make sense for them to target I'm hearing a lot of rumors out there that they're really high on Justin Fields out of Ohio State and now obviously they have the number 15 overall pick so they'd have to trade up quite a ways to get Justin Fields fields well coach belichick and urban meyer and urban meyer didn't coach justin fields in games but obviously urban meyer is well aware of justin fields those two are tight obviously we know about the connection between coach belichick and coach saban so i would think mac jones might also be a possibility but yes because cam newton is in his 30s now in his mid 30s they should be looking at another quarterback. This tells us that Jared Stidham is probably not the mm-hmm. answer. I wonder if maybe part of the thought process in signing all these free agents and hearing that said is that maybe they're t- thinking about moving some future assets in terms of draft choices because now they've got players under long-term contracts. It would make sense. It yeah. really would. And remember when everything was going down with Tom Brady and people were saying, well, Jared Stidham is the future. They've already got Jared Stidham. And now we've pretty much seen what Bill Belichick and the Patriots think of him. The other aspect to this that I think is intriguing is last year during training camp, Belichick talked about how he'd never been around a more competitive player than Cam Newton. Maybe Cam Newton is okay with that joyless experience so that he can try to win a Super Bowl. Perhaps, but I how much does that competitive nature carry him if it's not paying dividends on the field? Right. He's got to be better. If you have but, more interceptions than t- touchdowns, I don't care yeah. how competitive you are. They had the second worst production out of their tight ends in the league last year. So they got the top two tight ends in free agency. They signed a couple of starting wide receivers. So I don't know if they'll be better. I mean, Nelson Aguilar, he's, he's going to drop a bunch of balls. But at least they're trying to give the guy some weapons. So we'll see if that ever if that works. Thanks, Michelle. You got it. And thank you very much for joining us on Carriker and Smallman. Danny Mac has the baseball game today, so his show, the Dan McLaughlin Show with Brandon Kiley, is going to be live on Memorex. But we're going to head down the stretch of this edition of Carriker and Smallman next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> All right, uh, closing in on my dog here, <laughs> on uh, catching my dog in Instagram followers. I'm only 28 behind, Michelle, and maybe in the next uh, seven minutes or so, I can catch my dog. And somebody, a random person, will be chosen today to perhaps uh, get not only a T-shirt, not only an autographed photo from Randy, and a couple of 101 ESPN Sports Talk for St. Louis bumper stickers. However, there's a, a, an addition. Also, a lunch with Randy and Michelle once we're past the pandemic, maybe sometime this summer. And all you have to do is fire up your Instagram app, which I know you're probably scrolling already, and just type in RJ Carriker, K A R R A K E R. And follow, and uh, we'll see if we can get a winner. It'd be fun, wouldn't it? 
It would be great. Yeah. By the way, we just heard from uh, our friend Kevin Harlan, who did a great job on the Illinois win. You know, if he would have been doing Illinois yesterday, they would have won. That's definitely what would have happened. So hopefully we'll have Kevin on the show tomorrow to talk about the NCAA tournament. He's the best basketball broadcaster there is. All due respect to everybody else. I I don't even know if I would put basketball in that sentence. Yeah, he's great, isn't he? He can do anything. Yeah. He's and amazing. He does the NCAA championship on the radio. He does the Super Bowl on the radio. I, I was thinking of him last week because, I don't know if you saw in the Mizzou-Oklahoma game, the and we talked about this last week, the classic Billy Tubbs when Ed Hightower said, hey, go tell your fans to not throw stuff on the floor. Billy Tubbs grabs the microphone and says... Hey, regardless of how bad the officiating is, don't throw stuff on the floor. <laughs> and Kevin Harlan was doing the game for Mizzou. He was doing Mizzou basketball at that time. KU grad doing Mizzou basketball. And he said, did you hear that? Did you hear that? I can't believe he just said that. It was great. It was fantastic. Nothing like throwing a little gas on the fire. Yeah. So it was terrific. And- All right. Let's get a refresh here, Randy. Okay, hitting the refresh phones. button. We're up at, uh, let's see, we go from 2645 to 2680. Let me check the dog. We may have <laughs> passed the dog. Hold on. Let me check here. We're getting a lot of messages about this, 65780. Yes. Someone says, I will unfollow your dog for the bumper sticker. Just for the bumper sticker? Yeah, that's right. They don't okay. want to go to lunch with us. They just want the bumper sticker. Okay. Uh, let's see what we have. Up. Oh, hey, guess What? What? I think that uh, we have something to celebrate here. Uh, yes, Michelle, the, the fireworks are going off. Do we have a Randy. horn or something? That was very anticlimactic, Randy. It, it was. We had the horn. Where'd the horn go? We had the blues horn, and it's gone now. Here, I, I got a horn for you. It's just not the blues horn that we wanted, but we got a. That's the best I can do for you. Man, I was hoping like the club horn, Randy. I wanted celebrate oh. good times to be playing. But congratulations, you officially surpassed your dog and Instagram followers. I'm excited about it. So I thought I had that. Well, tomorrow we'll have a big celebration. This I feel is like just the moment is gone, Randy. Kinda, it's not. It is. We can have a day. We should, we, it should be 24 hours of celebration. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, I guess if you let me wallow in sadness and despair... After Illinois lost in the tournament, I should allow you to bask in joy that you beat your dog and Instagram followers. Pretty excited. At least one of us is a winner on the show today. Yeah. So should we pick a winner right now for uh, who's going to get the photo, or do you want to do that tomorrow? Let's do that tomorrow. Okay, we will. I was going to say. Thank you very much for participating, and I'm so excited. My dog's going to be despondent when I get home today, when I tell her. Yeah, what's going to happen? What, how, what's the power dynamic going to be like at the character house? Well, I always have the, because from the time she was a puppy, uh, I would hold her and dominate her so she wouldn't bite and stuff and hold her feet and stuff. The, the vet said, yeah, just hold her, don't let her get away and just touch her feet and her nose and stuff. So I, even though she's going to be two later this week, I still do that. So the power dynamics is mine. But now I have the social media power dynamic and I can tell you that she got a little bed for Christmas. She's just going to go curl up in her bed and just wallow. Are you going to taunt your dog, rub it in her face? <laughs> you know it. Yeah. You're going to strut course. into the house after the show today. It's huge. Yeah, this is awesome. This is like one of the best days I've ever had. I'm I, I'm an Instagram success, at least against my dog. People are texting in, Randy, all caps, let's go, Randy. People were cheering you on in this endeavor. Yeah. I, hey, I love the peeps. So now we're at our next goal. It will be 3,000. But I promise you, here's my guarantee for my 2,700 followers. 2,700 okay. now. Wow, impressive. 
Uh, I'm going to turn out content today. Okay. okay. And I will turn out great content for you on a regular basis. Today, I want some content of you taunting the dog. There's going to be video. (laughs) Yeah. So for the, right when I get in the door, hey, I've got more followers than you on Instagram, and let's see how she reacts. And that's why people should follow you instead of me, because I'm just bummed out a line eye girl for the next probably 48 no, hours, people, and you're you're taunting your dog. People need to follow Michelle, and we, we've got a number for Michelle, too. And by the way, uh, we will have a great celebration when Michelle gets to her goal, and your goal right now is 10 grand, right? 10 grand, yeah. Anyone mm. that wants to give me 10 grand. No, can... I mean 10,000 10, followers. Well, that's the next number that would be close, yeah. yeah. You're 84.52, so we need to get Michelle about 1,500 more followers, too. I'm pumped for you, Randy. I'm really glad that we can end the show on a high note. I'm glad that we could offset the depression, the uh, malaise of the day for Michelle. And by the way, if you didn't hear our opening segment at 7 o'clock, you can... Tune in just by going to the 101 ESPN app or 101ESPN.com. And brought to you by I Promise, it's the Carriker and Smallman podcast. I don't even remember it. I just unleashed all my emotions that had been pent up since yesterday, and I kind of blacked out. I don't really remember what I said. I should probably go back and listen to it. Just, <laughs> But it might just make me even more sad than before. But, yeah, you know, I'm feeling better. I feel like through Good. these three hours I worked through some kind things. Therapeutic. Yeah, I'm not at acceptance just yet, but we're getting there. We're trending in a positive way. And we mentioned the app. We want you to know with March almost being over, that means we're almost done with mentioning App Madness. 101 ESPN and our sister stations down the hall are all competing in App Madness, which ends next Wednesday, March 31st. So what do we need you, the listener, to do? Download the 101 ESPN mobile app and register your info between now and next Wednesday. That's it. We've got all those giveaways still going on the app, a Traeger Grill, $500 in cash and Nolan Arenado jersey. Your chance to win any of that is available now. All you need to do is sign up for the 101 ESPN app and register, and you will be signed up for that. Michelle, this has been great. Thank you very much. Thanks, Randy. See you tomorrow. Great job by our producer engineer today, Emily Butcher. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. And we appreciate you texting in, tuning in, being a part of the show, following me on Instagram. Follow Michelle, too, at M. Smallman. For all of us, we thank you very much. Dan McLaughlin coming up with Brandon Kylie, And until tomorrow morning at 7, have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman podcast, powered by I Promise. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget, BetOnline for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts. 
Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.